This podcast is brought to you on Roku and Fire TV by Pod Nation Podcast TV. Find us on X, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever podcasts are broadcast. Download our app and never miss a show with video on demand as well as exclusive content found only on Pod Nation TV. Live from Hong Kong, it's MIFV episode 82 Daniel DeMana versus Super Inframan. Welcome to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment through tokusatsu. I am your host, Monster Island's film curator, Nate Marchand. I almost said media master. I don't have that job anymore. <laughs> Gosh darn it. <laughs> don't remind me, Jimmy, but I'm glad that you got that new mic going there. Hopefully you don't sound like a garbled robot anymore. And everyone will hear your dulcet tones or whatever you're saying. You think you've got a great radio voice. You know, well, we'll leave that to the listeners to decide. But yes, today is kind of interesting because we are not on Monster Island. We're not at the KIJU studios. We are coming to you live from the MIFV mobile studio on Jimmy's Mech Uber Mogura. You don't need to keep reminding us that it's not your favorite, okay? We weren't able to get Mechanicong Mark II fixed up after our fight with not Goldar a few months ago, okay? Your favorite mech is still kind of half-melted. Anyway, anyway, we're not here just by ourselves. No, I have actually one of my favorite guests here with me today. It is the author-creator of the Godzilla Novelization Project, the host of the Patreon-exclusive Monster Musings podcast, and MIFV Max member, Pollyanni Danny Demana. Insert applause here. I will, yeah, pause for effect. Pause for, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm here. Hi there. What's up? Pollyanni Danny here. Uh, uh, Pollyanni Danny. And here I was scrambling to see if I still had the applause sound effect on this soundboard here. Oh, and no, I don't, I don't. I'll have to remember that for next time you come. I don't actually deserve or need the applause. That's fine. Also, before we move on, can you quickly and efficiently define for the listeners what Pollyanni means so that, you know... <laughs> Nobody gets it's, the wrong idea. It comes from Pollyanna, you know, which is a nickname that that you give to people who are annoyingly positive. Wow. You know what? Never mind. Uh, no, positive to the point of delusion, I think is Ooh, kind of the idea. I like that one. It's a lot more insulting. Thank you. I'll take it. I'll take it. But yes, I'm I'm here. I'm back. It's been not too horribly long since I've, I've no I've been on I think the show. The, I see I mean we've done a couple of live streams in the last few months but I'm trying streams. to think I'm trying to think where was uh, the last actual episode I, th I know you came for Mothra versus Godzilla because you got to do my job for a little while after I that. got to do your job I got to do your job I got to hang out and talk a little bit about Zilla foot 
Oh yeah, um, that's right, Zillafoot. Yes, Zillafoot. Because you've been in more. You've been in one kaiju movie, which is more and more than me. <laughs> this is true, and don't you forget it. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, you know, got to talk a little bit about Dino Saucers. Also which was, true. Which also was really true. cool. Yeah. So I've been, I've been around. I've been back here. Now this is the first time I've recorded the show not on Monster Island, which is kind of interesting. It's also the first time I've been on an extended trip inside of a mech, which is pretty <laughs> cool. Although I, I I will say that my my trip to get here was a touch unorthodox. Oh, really? You, you're always getting to your destinations in unorthodox ways. Yeah, I know. It, it, actually, this one's not as weird as it has been in the past, because in the past... Uh, what was that, Jimmy? Oh. The uh, the Pteranodon bot. He's still worried about that. Well, I'm glad you're actually, you know, around th- this time, Jimmy. I know that was outside of your control, but I actually did bring the Pteranodon bot with me. I want you to look at it because if you'll remember, the last time I used it to get to the island, it was filled full of bullet holes from some <clears throat> suspicious sources. Mm. And uh, I had to duct tape the darn thing to get home. And I haven't actually been able to fly it since because I literally sputtered into the parking lot of my apartment on that thing. You know, so at this I point, did... I'm just happy that you could actually understand what Jimmy is saying. So I can understand what he's saying now. Okay. You know, before we, before we go any farther with my story, I do want to ask, you just said something about him being crystal clear with a brand new mic. Did I hear right. you correctly? Yeah. I don't know what you're hearing, but he still kind of sounds a little garbled to me. Uh, dang it, Jimmy. Uh, Do you realize how many letters I get from people saying that you still don't sound great on the air? We've been doing this for, this is our fourth season, man. Get it together. He doesn't sound (laughs) Oh, calm down. Okay, just just calm down. I'm going to be, listen, I'm on Jimmy's side a little bit here. Listen, he tried his best. This is a work in progress. It sounds different than how it sounded before. It is not quite the same, so... We can call that progress, right? We can call it a yeah, step in we'll, the right we'll direction. Baby steps. Listen, we'll, Jimmy's had a Jimmy's had a busy couple of months. Yeah, yes, he you. has. Yes, he has. And you know, he decided to complicate things because he just brought his girlfriend along for this trip. Listen, man, you're you're going on a a, a trip around the world. You're seeing sights, sounds, radioactive monstrosities in their natural habitats. Listen, if 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 I had a girlfriend, I would bring her on this trip too. I'm just uh, saying. well, I mean, I'm surprised that she's not acting in the most stereotypically you know feminine way because we're chasing a giant spider today. Oh no no! Jiju Guai, Jiju Guai. I see. I'm, I'm never going to get this thing's name right. Jiju Guai, Jiju Guai, the big yeah, fat was, red spider. I was warned about that, so I'm going to be interested to see if we can actually track him down. I mean, I don't know how involved I'll be with that, but I'd kind of like to be involved. It sounds right. like fun, but right. But anyway, how'd you get here? Unorthodox. Well, well, yeah. Well, what? Ha- I'm actually. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> I know how I got here, but the exact machinations behind it are still a little bit befuddling. So if, if I mean, this is where I'm going to rely on you guys because I have no Pteranodon bot and I actually didn't know how I was going to get to where I needed to go. But I actually got up um, a, a couple days before I needed to be where I needed to be. I have to make it to Hong Kong, right? So I open up my door and there's a note that's been, that's been, it wasn't slid under my door, but it was kind of crinkled. It looked like somebody had tried to slide it, but gave up. <laughs> 
Um, you have a very I, t- you have you have very little space under your door, do you? I have no space under my door. If my apartment ever floods, no water is getting into my home, which is <laughs> which is great. But yeah, there was there was a note. I opened it up. I won't linger too long on the details. Basically, it was a bunch of coordinates. So I decided to follow it, and I ultimately came to what I assumed was a lake. It turns out it it was a lake, but it actually bled into the ocean eventually, and there was a boat moored there. Mm-hmm. And once I got on the boat, I found another note that said, happy travels. Mm-hmm. I don't know what this means. Now, this boat was a little bit weird, and it suddenly started to make sense to me the more I looked at it. Tell me if this sounds familiar. About a medium-sized yacht with a giant paper mache red dragon for a masthead, red wings on the back, and a pirate flag with a bonehead on it. Does that ring a bell? Yep. Yeah. It was just there. And something, okay, first of all, yes, it was very suspicious, but listen, I got to get to Hong Kong to be on an episode of the Monster Island Film Vault, right? I'll take my chances. So I sailed the whole way here from North America to Hong Kong in a tiny yacht, and it actually went faster than I thought thought it was going to. Maybe it was being powered by something crazy, but yeah, yeah, I, I got here on a boat. So nothing as crazy as like, you know, calling on the space giants version of Goldar to save me from drowning or anything like the last time. (laughs) This is true. uh, But still a bit unorthodox and I'm not sure exactly how this happened, but all I know is I now have the boat from Inframan and I ain't giving it back. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I don't think I would either. Although I don't know if princess dragon mom or Elzebub or whatever name you prefer is coming after you for it. And if she did, all you have to do is cut her head off five times and you're done. (laughs) What's I mean, it's really not that complicated of a process. It just takes a while. Right. You know, if you want it done fast (laughs) or done right. But speaking of that, (laughs) you're here. This is our season premiere, our fourth season premiere. And we're starting a new series, Kaiju Lovers, because every country has a monster they're afraid of. In the nation, every monster has a country. Yeah, station they call their home. Welcome to the Monster Island World Tour. <laughs> We're going to be looking at kaiju movies from all around the world. We're not Japan, not America. We did America Kaiju last year. And there's still plenty of Japanese movies to talk about. What we're going to be looking at other countries and how and their kaiju movies and yes i can already hear you yelling it's like it's super inframan there's no there's monsters in it but the kaiju stuff is only for like two minutes so it doesn't really count shut up i need an excuse to talk about the pure undiluted madness that is this movie okay (laughs) any excuse will do to talk about what i would argue is one of the greatest films ever made Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> even Jimmy oh, yeah. is a, a little taken aback there. I defy anyone with good taste in cinema to get through this movie and then look me in the eye and tell me it's not one of the most amazing things they have ever seen <laughs> in their entire life. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because you're in good company with that because I quote, from the booklet that comes with the now unfortunately out of print DVD Boo. of this movie, 
from Mr. August Ragone and his friend Damon Foster. They wrote, and I quote, only an idiot wouldn't like the cavalcade of psychotic violence known as the Super Inframan. Wow. And no apparently Roger Ebert, the famous Roger Ebert, <laughs> is, <laughs> would agree because even he likes it. In fact, this is one of the only movies I could think of where he upgraded his score <laughs> later on. Listen, Ebert sometimes knew what he was talking about. Yes, he because when he first saw it, he gave it a 2.5 out of 4, but he, ah. he did like it. But then when Quentin Tarantino released Mighty Peking Man, oh, that might be foreshadowing <laughs> for hmm. later on. Let me know if you I'll release it on DVD. Release it on DVD, and he realized he gave that one three out of four. He said, "I, I, ha I can't in good conscience not upgrade the score for Inframan." So that became a three out of four. So, heck yeah! So score, yeah. so score one for Tokusatsu. Oh, shut up, Elijah! I know you're yelling. It's like it's from Hong Kong. It's not Tokusatsu. Well, guess what? It, there's a bunch of Japanese people who worked on this because, and I ha, and I know this because I talked about this on Henshinman, and I had to justify having it on there because, like, this is about Japanese superheroes. It, it is highly influenced by Kamen Rider and Ultraman, and had Japanese crew members on it. Oh, it counts. Oh, th yeah, it, it. This is li listen. If there was such a thing, and I would say that this film clearly illustrates that there is such a thing as taking the basic boiled down to its constituent parts idea a concept of the japanese henshin hero this movie is basically like if you took that concept and all of its broad strokes and you threw it in a blender with a nine-year-old with adhd and then you sprinkled a little bit of speed on top of it. <laughs> the end, the ending result potpourri would be of this film. And it is pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. And because what else are you going to talk about with this? Because it is just pure undiluted madness. <laughs> because this was made by the Shaw brothers in the 1970s. We're going to be talking about for our Toku topic today, martial arts cinema, which is actually more interesting than you think. Oh, it's a super interesting topic. Very, very much. But now, Danny, we need to get to the entertaining info dump written by my intrepid producer over there, probably with assistance from his new girlfriend. I'm sure because she's got expertise that no one else does. I'm leaving it at that. But anyway, we'll be reading that. And then we'll be coming back to discuss. Whoa. I don't even think it would call it a movie. It's an experience. <laughs> it is both a movie and an experience and a lot of other things that we will talk about when we get there. The heroic and highly competent Lema is the secret identity of Inframan, a colorful two thunder-fisted superhero battling the evil Inner Earth Kingdom and its army of monsters. He stops at nothing to foil the villain's plans to take over the world, of course, and human genocide. 
Inner Earth employs several obedient and deadly ice monsters as henchmen and generals, including Fire Dragon, an aggressive fire-breathing kaijin with a horned helmet, the Vicious Spider Monster, a red, well, spider monster, who spits acid and exploding web bombs, Plant Monster, a nasty kaijin who invades the science headquarters with its violent vines, the Cunning Mutant Drill is a mole-like monster with a shovel and drill for hands who spearhead several of Inner Earth's attacks. Long-Haired Monster is a frightening creature who fights Inframan by a lake. The Cold Iron Armor Monsters are a pair of robots guarding the inner sanctum of the villain's dragon-like fortress. The Skeleton Ghosts are Inner Earth's loyal foot soldiers. Professor Liu Yingdi is the intelligent and fatherly proprietor of science headquarters and creator of Inframat. He mentors Lema as he learns his new powers, and the professor protects his daughter after he and she are kidnapped by Inner Earth. Said daughter is the kind and compassionate Liu Meimei, who finds herself in the middle of several of Inframat's fights and is later captured with her father and used as a bargaining chip in Inner Earth's schemes. The awkward and malleable Zhu Ming is a science HQ officer who is mesmerized by Inner Earth and used as a spy to acquire Inframan's blueprints. Demon Princess Elzebub is the tyrannical and ruthless leader of Inner Earth who is hell-bent on taking over the world! Of course! Her second-in-command, the loyal and cruel Witch-Eye, uses technology to carry out the princess's orders and accomplish her goals with often deadly efficiency. The human and kaiju plotlines are unified aside from a short-lived subplot involving Mei and the professor's backstory that provides a brief respite from the madness. Otherwise, the protagonist's actions are connected to Inner Earth and its monsters. Inner Earth and its kaijin minions are the problem. Plant Monster invades Science HQ and several officers fruitlessly battle his vines until Inframan intervenes, killing the kaijin. Inframan fights Spider Monster and Longhaired Monster with his Science HQ comrades. Longhaired Monster is killed after being thrown into a lake, but Spider Monster inexplicably grows to giant size. Inframan does the same to combat him, eventually squishing the red monster after the creature shrinks. Mutant Drill attempts to plant a bomb under the Science HQ, but this is foiled by Inframan. Zhu Ming successfully infiltrates Science HQ, allowing Mutant Drill to kidnap Mei and steal Inframan's blueprints. Inframan and several officers assault Mount Devil, killing Mutant Drill, Fire Dragon, Witch Eye, the Iron Armor Monsters, and numerous skeleton ghosts. The problem is solved when Inframan confronts Elzebub, who transforms into a winged lizard, and he decapitates her. Five times. The script by Ni Kuang is a simple but hyperkinetic action-adventure story with multiple villains and an ensemble of supporting characters around the central hero. Subplots are minimal. Several artists from Akisu Productions assisted the Shaw Brothers technicians with the special effects, which is why the suits for Inframan and the monsters are similar to those of contemporary Japanese superhero TV shows like Kamen Rider and Mirror Man. Sequences like Plant Monster's attack on the Science HQ were ambitious and employed camera tricks like reverse photography to pull off. The numerous fight scenes showcase Shaw's trademark elaborately choreographed martial arts combat and the craftsmanship of the suits. Other tokusatsu techniques used included miniatures, optical effects, puppetry, and pyrotechnics. This gave the movie a colorful and stylized look even if it wasn't always quote-unquote 
convincing. The movie has a light tone with just enough gravity to take the villain seriously as a threat. With its pulpy concepts, outrageous characters, and nonstop action, this is a fantasy movie with some sci-fi elements. Super Inframan was touted as, quote, China's first superhero, end quote, so it was experimental in its time and place. While Shaw Brothers was known for its martial arts cinema, it had never made anything like this. Japanese henshin heroes were popular in Hong Kong, so combining that with martial arts made for a unique blend of styles at the time. To that end, the movie reinforces the styles of Shaw Brothers martial arts films and Japanese superhero television shows. Even its hyperkinetic pacing and psychotropic colors harken back to those influences. The movie was made to cash in on the henshin boom in Japan, which had spilled over into Hong Kong. As such, it was meant to entertain children, henshin hero fans, and fans of martial arts cinema. Box office and budget numbers are unavailable, but it underperformed in its native Hong Kong when released August 1975. However, it fared better in other territories, particularly in America, where it was exhibited by exploitation distributor Joseph Brenner when released internationally. So much so, Shaw Brothers considered making a sequel titled Infrawoman that would have starred an American actress. It even received some favorable reviews from critics, including Roger Ebert. It remains a cult classic revered by fans of strange cinema, martial arts films, and tokusatsu fans. When the movie was released on VHS by Prism Entertainment and Good Times Entertainment in 1985, the Good Times tape included a new section between the title card and American credits that included the subtitle, quote, Battles the Sci-Fi Monsters, end quote, to appeal to fans of that genre. Snippets from the film were used to inaccurately introduce some, but not all, of the villains. Only a few forces are at play in this crazy movie. Inner Earth's power-mad lust for conquest clashes with humanity's right to exist. Zhu Ming's free will is erased by Witch Eye's technology, weaponizing him against Science HQ. Mei's desire for independence conflicts briefly with her father's care for her. That's about it. A few themes are present. Mind control is demonized. Inner Earth is unabashedly evil, giving the audience clear-cut heroes and villains. The professor will stop at nothing to protect his daughter. Lema heroically volunteers to become Inframan with little hesitation. He and his science HQ comrades valiantly battle Inner Earth. With my contractual obligations fulfilled, let's launch season four with a discussion of the purest, most undiluted insanity ever recorded on film. Where do we even start? <laughs> it's super freaking Inframan. Where super... do we even start? <laughs> okay, well, I... Okay. I, this uh, is something... Can we talk about how DC Comics should have sued the Shaw Brothers? Because how the heck did they get away with that logo on this poster? <laughs> I don't know how they got away with the original Chinese name of the film. Yeah, Chinese Superman. Yeah, Chinese this, Superman. This, good grief. This thing has so many titles. Yeah, this is one of those movies that has 
about a bajillion different variations of the on the title when it was initially released in China or in Hong Kong, as you just said, it was it was called Chinese Superman, which is why if you watch the subtitled Cantonese version, you will see in the subtitles the characters calling Inframan Chinese Inframan. It's like a weird because they're saying Chinese Superman. It's a weird combination of the two in the subtitles that doesn't really make sense unless you get the context, but it's also called the super inframan or just super inframan or just inframan one word or inframan infra hyphen capital M man. Yeah. Sometimes the hyphen version (laughs) sneaks into the other versions. Yeah. Well, and what makes it, what makes the whole uh, Chinese inframan thing even funnier is Chris Cook and I on Henshin man made jokes about this. Like, wait a minute. Does that mean there are other inframan in other countries? Does every country have an inframan? Is there like an American inframan? inframan. (laughs) There you go. It was like, is there Russian inframan? Is Soviet inframan? Now they've got like a, they've got a, um, an Aussie inframan as well. (laughs) They've got the Russian inframan. Um, He fights all the mutant bingos. My (laughs) friend, they also have a French inframan as well. It's a French inframan. Yeah. Uh, Then I got sort of like a Southern sort of inframan. He's pretty cool. (laughs) Although that's still nothing compared to, I don't remember what the the title was, but the German and Turkish ad campaigns for this made some even more outrageous claims. They said this movie was based on a James Verne, a Jules Verne novel. Which, if you, well, okay, no, it's not. But if you, it, but <laughs> if, listen, this was during. If you go back in time and look at a lot of underground movies of which this there's very little ties to it here but anytime you get a movie that's like well our villains come from up under the ground and there's an underground cave element somebody will try to pull a Vern card one of my favorite examples is the rather like not a lot of people know about this movie but uh if you're into cheesy 80s action films uh canon films or if you're a mystery science theater fan this will not be the last time Mr. Science Theater is eventually in this episode. <laughs> nope. Then, then you will be aware of the film Alien from L.A., which is a bizarre little flick from a director, Albert Pyun, who actually just passed away. Yeah. Yeah. May, may he rest in peace. He directed, the, he directed a schlocky Captain America movie. He did. That's probably what he's most famous for. But he also did this movie about a... The, the daughter of a an archaeologist trying to find her father, and she falls into an underground civilization that's basically grungy Mad Max Atlantis. And they claimed that it was based on Journey to the Center of the Earth. Be- and the only real ties are that it's underground, and the name of the, the character is Sakmason, which is the name of the, the character from Journey to the Center of the Earth. That's it. So that's what, th- I mean, that's the only thing I can think as, think with this, is that if you... I mean, they don't even really talk about it, but the villains in this film are apparently part of like the Glacier Empire and they come from they underground. They can't make up their minds what these things are. By the way, the t- the Turkish title when translated is Bionic Man versus the Monsters. Listen, th- it, which makes this... And this it had an old yeah. key comics character named Dr. Solar Man of the Atom for its poster. So they couldn't even use the real but that here's But Daikaiju Connections, that puts it in the same camp as Godzilla versus the Bionic Monster as something that was trying to tie into the right. the six million dollar yeah, man because, at the time. Yeah, because yeah. the US the the US distributor used the tagline "The Man Beyond Bionics." <laughs> yep, Man Beyond Bionics. It was because listen, like if you weren't there, it's hard to to fully grasp it. 
but six million dollar man was a big deal and so was the 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 bionic woman like it, these were these were big shows and so you've got people all across the planet were doing this and probably the the example that's most pertinent to kaiju fans would be versus mechagodzilla 74 becoming bionic monster for about half a second before they switched it to the cosmic monster title right so well was, and since we're but since we're on the subject of the villains <laughs> and the the many many monsters that are in this thing oh, I, boy. the because there's a lot of them the thing about this movie is i mean it was jimmy already explained it to us and you and i've hinted at it already this was very very heavily influenced by the henshin boom a boom boom the henshin boom in japan boom. which is and particularly <laughs> in particular common writer and ultraman which i actually and i mean i don't know if it it probably wouldn't have had the time to be an influence but i did look up when go ranger the first sentai series started it started just a few months before this movie was released. Yeah. And you can definitely this. So super inframan slash the super inframan slash inframan slash yeah. infra dash man. Yeah. And at this point, big, the, it, I think the, the most recent Ultraman show was Leo. It had just wrapped up Leo. Yeah. Leo would have, would have been uh, wrapping up at this time, but right. this and show, common writer stronger was the current yeah. writer show at the time. This, this show is so toei. It is so, and there are reasons for that, which we'll get into, but it, this, this, this movie is so like unabashedly like, yeah, there are, there's some Subaraya bits in there for sure, but dear God, is this thing, this thing just reeks of Toei. And I don't mean that in a bad way, quite the opposite. I mean it in an endearing way, in a great way, but you can definitely feel a bit of, well, not a a bit, a a lot of Kamen Rider, even a little bit of uh, Kikaida. In, in this. Yes, uh, I was actually knowing a bit more about Kakaida now. I was looking at this like, yeah, there are some visuals that remind me of Kakaida. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, the uh, the Inframan himself is closer to Common Rider because he's a cyborg, or as I like to call him, Gifborg, because <laughs> that's how those <laughs> effects look. <laughs> it's like oh. we just use those. We may we. It's like wow, we've gone from this is. The latest in special effects technology to making silly cat memes (laughs) on the internet. (laughs) Isn't that always the way? Look at how humanity has evolved, truly. Truly. It it is. But then he's got like moves and poses like Ultraman, powers like Ultraman. Although he was going to have a motorcycle, there was an infracycle. Yes. But it broke. You had one. Yes, Jimmy. I know you could have fixed it. Yo, he totally could have fixed it. But like, like you were saying, you had one job. You had one job, Rayma, to not break the darn motorcycle. And he does ride a motorcycle at several points in the film, just not in costume. So it doesn't quite. And all all of the science patrol. The the only like the, the group doesn't really have a name. They're just the science headquarters. And they don't really have like a, a name. Oh my gosh, their headquarters is straight out of Ultraman with the, complete the with complete with rainbow disco balls and uh, you know, like Tetris blocks the Tetris randomly blocks, appearing like, on their uh, on a screen in the back. I don't know why they're there. Some <laughs> of their equipment looks like it was purchased at a Spencer's Gifts. It's very <laughs> a lot of plasma balls. In their def- in their defense, 
the bad guys look like they bought their wardrobe from <laughs> from like Spirit of Halloween. Oh <laughs> yeah. So do we do we want to talk about do, do we want to keep going and talk about the bad guys since we're, yes. we already kind of started talk about there? the right, bad let's... guys because we they can, they can't agree on where these things are. They keep calling them demons, the the villainess. The proto Rita Repulsa, the proto Bandora, oh, calls herself Bandora. a demon. She refers to her minions as demons. But then there's a random scientist guy who's like, they're part of an underground glacier kingdom and, or whatever. <laughs> and, I'm like, oh, I'm like, man, movie, it's... I know you're insane, but pick a lane. <laughs> pick a lane. And that's the thing is, if the scientist hypothesizes about it in the first nine minutes of the movie, then you can just assume that that's gospel. That is exactly where they came from. <laughs> right but the, but the, the hilarious this... thing is nobody can agree on what these characters names are either oh, because the, names, the dub yeah. renamed some of them some of them hilariously i might oh. add <laughs> so that okay before we go any farther this is a, a one a, a good spot to mention how the two different versions of the movie treat things because i would argue that as insane and just completely bonkers off the wall and 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 it's nuts just completely nuts uh, as, as the original Hong Kong version is, it's also very earnest and it doesn't treat the movie as like a parody or a joke. No, it, 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 it It's very straight. As insane as it is, it treats everything that's happening as straight. Now, the yeah, dub but- knows what it's dealing with and put some silly stuff in the dub. Yeah, it does. The The way I describe, I guess I showed this actually to the Metters one time when they came to visit the island and I told them, it's like, I'm going to forewarn you this is competently made insanity. <laughs> and it is competently. I would I completely agree. The set it's design competent, on this thing is not great. incompetent. It is yeah. competently made. It's, it's competently insanity. made. It is. It's yeah. the sets are beautiful. The there are some really interesting fight choreography is good. Performances are de- are, are decent. The script There's, is unmitigated nonsense but the, the script the script is 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 uh, bonkers in the extreme it's well and i dense. found I, I think i know why i actually found some because uh, i found it what a lot of people don't know is that they're on these funny little things called dvds they will have yes. dvd features and there was a pdf with an interview of the director hua shan and he talked about how the script got made do you want to hear about that a little bit before we talk about the villains because it's it explains so much I well, for a lot. Probably. Who am I to stop you? Tell the, yeah. tell the people it's what you found. It's my show, dang it. And <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Yeah. So he said that the name the screenwriter was a guy named, I'm probably butchering these names, Ni Kwang. Quang. Ni Quang. And the director said, quote, there was an interesting way Ni Quang wrote his scripts. He never edited or revised them. Wow. That <laughs> the director. It- the director could do whatever they wanted with the script, even change it completely, and he wouldn't care. I think this was because he simply had too many stories to write and just didn't have the time to make changes. End quote. And that should answer many of your questions right off the bat <laughs> that right. should he all then the the interviewer also asked him was like well, how did shaw brothers go about writing their scripts and he said well there was three ways we did it and then he said this is then he said the way we did it for inframan was this one and then this is how he explained that quote most of the scripts that got approved by shaw brothers production team were tech scripts and directors were not required to present storyboards fun fact this was the first chinese movie to use storyboards yes it was 
Most directors simply worked out the shots during filming. Some would even change the script while filming, but Inframan was pretty loyal to the original script, end quote. This was this move this entire movie was draft number one. Like that's that is okay, so you and I are both writers, right? Yes. So we this is when we hear something like this, like it's that is that is so wacky. <laughs> like that's the that's the nicest thing I can think Someone to say. Someone filmed it. the first draft. <laughs> Somebody film that is that is listen like that could be the thesis statement of this film. If this film had a thesis statement, it would be either we did it on take one or boom in all caps. <laughs> oh like, man, oh man, yeah. but yeah. So the bad guys. So the bad guys in this. Yeah, the bad guys. The, who are? I I joke that that the villainous is the proto Rita Repulsa. I mean, like I have this crazy theory that they're cousins or something, <laughs> you know, or, or they're, or like, uh, or like her, like Rita Repulsa, Bandora, this woman and Belvera are all like related <laughs> somehow, you know, Belvera would literally be their little sister. Their little sister. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There we yes, go. Right. Give me that. Rich shot. There we go. <laughs> well, wow. Like I'm not proud of it. I got, I, said I, it. Got out of, I got out of being that deep in with, with winter and the board. And I'm still saying it. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying, but yeah, the, uh, so, she, okay. So the, the, so villain, anyway, the, the anyway, she, I think the official name for her is demon princess Elzebub, which is a play off of Beelzebub. It ain't subtle. Yeah. <laughs> which is, uh, which I believe is, well, it's in the Bible. I think it, it yeah, it's in the Bible. And the Beelzebub literally means Lord of the Flies. There's a literary reference for it. It's, Whoa, it's yeah. not Jules Verne. It's Lord of the Flies. <laughs> there you go. This, this movie has about as much to do with Lord of the Flies as it does with Verne. So it's, yeah, but sense. anyway, uh, but the dub renamed her <laughs> to <laughs> just say to, just no- to Princess Dragon Mom. <laughs> princess list okay anybody <laughs> out, people out there i don't care if you've seen the movie before or if this is the first time you're hearing this i want you to just stop for a second and let it all sink in yeah, the villainous's name in. is princess dragon mom yeah it's but here's a fun little but here's a fun little thing i decided to try this is something this is definitely going to be different than what it was on henshin then i decided because when i looked up the the wikipedia article of this it had the Chinese letters there for each of the characters' names. I'm like, I want to see what these actually come out as. You know, I'm a little confused on this one because according to Google Translate, maybe I'm this is it's Google Translate, so it's highly suspect. It yep. says the Chinese letters for her name mean Glacier Lord. Honestly, honestly, <laughs> that's not too far off from how she's presented. I mean, she's kind of the ice princess of a an of a of a glacial kingdomy sort of vague boom boom explosion cone bra <laughs> sort of thing going on. <laughs> Listen, the, the, this oh, is gosh. literally this is proto Bandora. This is proto Bandora. <laughs> it really is. is. It really is. But yeah. then but then you know uh, then we have witch eye. Witch, witch eye. eye. Oh witch my eye. gosh. If you thought cone bra was funny enough, witch eye's barely wearing anything. And she, with a name like Witch Eye, you think that she's gonna 
you know, literally be a witch and have supernatural powers. No, she uses science. She uses science. Science. You've just been blinded by it. Ha. Yeah. <laughs> and she brainwashes people. And when I watch it, I get flashbacks to the Star Trek original series episode, Dagger of the Mind. Because that's Ooh, what, good like, one. Yeah. <laughs> so, so she, and then, you know and like, she's like barely wearing anything. Okay. So like, she, you're like, you're there for the eye candy. We get it. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's, she doesn't leave a lot to the imagination. The thing I think about most with, with her is the fact that she's called Witch Eye. But she has four eyes. She has she has two eyes. She has two eyes on each on the palm of her hands. Yeah. Oh yeah, hands. yeah. Because Pan's you know Labyrinth. Guillermo del Toro saw this movie. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I've Let's, seen Pan's I, Labyrinth. <laughs> it's it's the it's the low hanging fruit reference we know, but yeah, it really know. does look like the pale man with the with the eyeballs in his hands. It's very. This movie has a surprising like reach in terms of its cult following. I can almost guarantee you that Del Toro has seen this. Yeah. I don't know. If, which is I don't funny think it, because I, yeah. it was a box office flop, as Jimmy told us in the entertaining info. Yeah. Dump. It didn't, it didn't earn, it didn't earn a lot of the good news is they didn't, I mean, it didn't have, it had a pretty, I don't know. Like I'm not entirely, I'm not knowledgeable enough about how Chinese and Hong Kong film budgets were at the time to know if this was medium budgeted or higher than usual for a Shaw brothers. Oh, they said it was, uh, they said that it was expensive. Okay. Cause that's what I always thought because you can tell this was an expensive movie. It looks expensive today. If you look at it, you know, it it has kind of a, you know, a a cheesy quality to it, but it, right, right. They said it was expensive. They said it was expensive. I can't find any actual numbers, but they said it was expensive because they said that's why you don't see very many science fiction films coming out of Hong Kong's because it's too expensive. Well, that's the thing about the Shaw brothers is that they pumped out a thousand movies and they reused a lot of assets for their, their, you know, their Kung Fu and their martial arts films. And then you've got this film where you can't, do that you have to have a set for the good guys you have to have an underground dragon mom lair you have to have the above ground yeah. portion and the you know right. they do fight they do fight in a quarry at one point they do do the quarry thing right but... they do the quarry thing and they although they do recycle a couple of music cues oh my gosh they they did they actually swiped a little bit of toto fuyuki music from ultra seven Ultra Seven couple... and mirror man yeah there are a couple of mirror man cues and sound effects it does not take a rocket they scientist. Use the, they use the the Ultraman henshin sound when he gets big. Juju yeah. Guai, the monster we're trying to track down, and yeah. Inframan because he randomly gets huge. And at a at a yep, and at a couple of points in the movie, uh, specifically, I'm thinking during the the birth of Inframan moment when he's activated for the first time, you can hear the Exilian UFO from Monster Zero. Yes. And it's that it's that sound. Like it's not subtle. Now, that's it. Kind of like that. I don't know if it was bec- if that had anything to do with the fact that there were Japanese technicians and companies, actual companies that were involved with the film. Right. There were there were a couple people that came over, some special effects guys. Most notably, the monster suits were built by Equus Productions, who worked with Tsuburaya and specifically with Toei. Oh, hey, if you're going to go there for a second, I'll get back to the bad guy's names here in a minute. But, you know, if you're going to talk about that. So me, uh, it's uh, Mikami. There you go. Thank you. I could not remember his name. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Michio Mikami, who worked on Kamen Rider. He was born in China, but raised in Japan. Couldn't speak Chinese well, but he could write it really well. 
So they needed an interpreter to talk with him where they just had him write stuff. And he worked with Eiji Tsuburaya on the original Godzilla, Rodan, and the Mysterians. Yes, we know you love that one. We're, 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 we are in, we are riding inside of your Mysterians fandom, okay? <laughs> yeah. And he Absolutely. then he went and worked with Daie on some Gamera movies, among other things. Then he went independent in 1967 and started Akisu Productions or X Productions with Keizo Murase. Let that sink in, people. And Akira Takahashi. And now and later in life, he was an interior designer. <laughs> well, that's living the dream. Listen, this guy, yep. this guy is no joke. I mean, if that if that resume and all those people attached to it that he worked with was not an indication, yep. this dude was no joke. And he mm-hmm. is the guy he built. Who made... the, he designed the, the monsters and and everything character designs on Common Rider. Yes. Which I guess is a good way to, to tie us back to the talking about the rest of the bad guys. Yes. Also, uh, just one more. Not only did they borrow the sound effects and the and the music, they also borrowed footage from Submersion of Japan, like everyone else. Everyone stole footage yeah. from Submersion of Japan. Yeah, at that the time, burning so, buildings yeah. at the beginning—that was from Submersion of Japan. Apparently, Sweet. they had bought it, so they were using it legally. They bought it, and they're like, "Well, we would do it ourselves, but we need to get the movie finished and save some money." So, just the, 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 we don't have the budget to build a miniature Hong Kong. And the last time we tried to burn the real Hong Kong down, Hong Kong got mad at us. Yeah, yeah. so we we're not we're not doing that again. Yeah, but Sorry, no, Hong Kong. The, so we talked about which I she got renamed She Demon in the dub, yeah. and. Then we have we need to talk about these for a second. The not shocker goons. <laughs> oh my! Oh my gosh! These are so. They are called. Writer. They are called skeleton ghosts. Skeleton ghosts. But they are called we... the skeleton ghosts, and these are relevant to us, Danny, because actually I should bring this up. There's a, I missed one of the other MST3K connections. Princess Dragon Mom is the inspiration for Kinga. <laughs> Yes, she is. On yes, she is. The newer MST3K seasons. I know that sounds weird, but according to Joel Hodgson, it's the inspiration. He wants this movie on the show. Oh, I've he's been it. trying for decades. I mean, ever since the original run of the show to get this to get this movie onto the show. It onto is Mystery so Science riffable. It, it, this this is MST3K gold right here. It really is. It's one of those movies that works really, really great on its own as a piece of entertainment. But if you throw the, the, the gags on it, it's, it would be moi. And honest to goodness, if they got the crew that's doing mystery science theater currently right now, if that they're, they've been doing new episodes for their Gizmoplex streaming service. Yeah. For anybody out there who doesn't Which know, I still need to sign up for. Yes, you should. But yeah, anybody out there who doesn't know, I'm doing my part in spreading the word here. Mystery science theater is not canceled again. A 13th season just ended. They have their own streaming service slash kind of theater portal called the Gizmoplex. And season 13 was really funny. I think I think it was actually funnier than both the Netflix uh, seasons. So I would recommend throwing some money at them and supporting them so that they can make a season 14. But saying something, because I thought especially the first Netflix season was pretty funny. I, I, I agree. I agree. But I think they have really honed in. This is way off topic. Well, we can talk about this another time. But this new season that they just did was, oh, there were some good ones in there. And they did do Gamera versus Jigar. I, I did see that one. I did rent yes. that one. Yes. Watch. I, watched that on, I watched it on Gamera Day. Yes. 
But anyway. the reason the reason we bring this up is because in the Netflix, the two Netflix Mystery Science Theater seasons, which are season, technically seasons 11 and, and 12, Kinga, who's the the villainess, who, as, as Nate just mentioned, King, was inspired. Uh, Kinga Forrester. Kinga Forrester, daughter of but, Clayton, granddaughter yep. of Pearl, heir apparent to the Forrester dynasty of movie riffing mad scientists or movie riffing and posing mad scientists. Mm-hmm. And her goons, she has kind of. They're, they're, they they almost could be foot soldiers, but she uses them as the house band to play in and out yeah, of the, fake commercial they're, breaks. They're the skeleton crew, and the they skeleton were inspired crew. by these guys, which yeah. means they are vicariously inspired by Common Rider because these yes. guys were inspired by the Shocker goons who dressed like skeleton luchadors <laughs> for a while, anyway. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> it's Common Rider's technically. In a very roundabout way, in MST3K. So we just we just made a triangle between Common Rider, Mystery Science Theater 3000, and Super Inframan slash the Shaw Brothers. Y'all are welcome. Yeah. Yep. Y'all are welcome. This is the but, kind of insight yeah, I, you'll I, get I, on Monster Island. Film but uh, funny thing, so which I, I when I ran her Chinese letters through Google Translate, came out as Electric Witch Eye, which is kind of weird. She does kind of shoot lightning bolts, kind of, I guess. Kinda, maybe. Yeah. Kind of. A little kinda. bit. I mean, her uh, eyes shoot uh, bolts. It works. Yeah, but then you start getting to some of their monsters, and it starts getting really straightforward after that. If oh, start, yeah. The name's not, it's just like, you know, we've been talking about Jiju Guai. I mean, that, I'm sure that sounds really cool and all to anyone who doesn't speak Chinese, but it just literally means spider monster. It's kind of boring. But I mean, then again, if you find out monster. anything about a lot of japanese kaiju names they suddenly become really boring what does gamera mean it's literally giant turtle or pretty close to just giant it's, it's turtle basically <laughs> like if you're if you want to appropriate the la ora sound in japanese to almost like a suffix for something big like zilla it's literally just turtle zilla yeah it's turtle zilla you know mothra it, it's literally mothzilla it's mothzilla we, we, we could keep going. It just yeah, shrimp, we could. But then, so I looked up some of these other <laughs> monsters, and you know, it, their their names are pretty straightforward. You know, yeah. You know, so we talked about spider monster. We had a we had a plant monster, and I'm a little scared that within about two minutes we might get a call from Doctor Dorif. Oh, you said his name. Now he's going to show. Oh, uh, it, yeah. It's like Beetlejuice. Well, just don't, just don't say it too. If you say it two more times, we're in trouble. Just keep it. Yeah, to one. yeah. We should be good. Yeah, Nothing yeah. against Doctor Dorif. He's. I mean, respect the man. You know, very prestigious underground creepy man. Um. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, he let's move on before he... monsters. Yeah, no, yeah. He's he's got a thing on. Jimmy, why did you say it a second time? No, 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 no. Okay, we're moving on. Next monster. Next monster. The next monster. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, it, it, like, but then, like I said, I just started taking some of these names and running them through Google Translate. And they just came out kind of funny. I've like, there's one who in the subtitles is called Mutant Drill. Okay. Yes. Because he, he literally has a. He, he looks like he had tools surgically attached to him. He has, he has a drill on one hand and like a scoop on the other. Like he's a walking bulldozer, but he's he's huge. He's he's a very random looking critter. He's just, he, is guess, a very, I, he is a very random looking. Yeah, it actually says here. It's just like yeah, he's supposed to. Oh, well, okay, he's supposed to be a mole, and he has a drill and a shovel. Okay, I ran the Japanese characters for his name through Google Translate, and it doesn't come out mutant drill. It comes out pangolin. Hmm. Pangolin. Interesting. So that's that's an that's I would not have. Okay. 
Hmm. Wow. Super yeah. Inframan is full of mysteries. <laughs> right. Now, it gets wackier from there, because then you have the long-haired monster, the who, I thought for a, who I thought for a hot second was Sweetums. <laughs> I'm going to Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to kill Inframan. He looks, a, he looks a little like Cousin It after a bad roid bender. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's just long-haired monster. Oh, like I thought that was Gahara, but yeah, uh, <laughs> didn't do it, do it. Do it. Do that it. was Eric, a okay. deep cut reference. You're if welcome. you got that, you're you have you have seen things. <laughs> you, you have I gone have. places. But no, when I when I ran his name, the Chinese lettering, through Google Translate, it came out not long-haired monster, Rapunzel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You had a little too much fun with Google Translate there. Yeah, I, I did. I did. And then you, know, then you had the Iron Armor monsters or, you know, as I call them, like the King Joe cousins. <laughs> I was I was calling them the Mace Bros because they just the Mace Bros. That works. The Mace too. Bros. That one was pretty straightforward. But here's the weirdest one. It's one of the most straightforward ones. But the Fire Dragon. The most yeah. boring name ever. Fire Dragon. Okay. You know, it has a large, it has a large horned crown and a mustache and it spits fire. It's about as straightforward as you can get. Okay. It's got a villainous mustache and it can twirl and all that. It's, it's, a, it's an evil mustache dragon. You guys just, yeah, yeah. Here. But the, this is the funniest, weirdest one out of the whole bunch. Google translate, it translated these Chinese characters as Charizard. I hope dear you're happy, Bex. Dear Google Translate, um, what, why, how? Sincerely, me. <laughs> like, what, okay, Charizard? Charizard? Yeah, that one I don't get. And according to IMDb, the dub version changed all of the monsters' names. Uh, see, we've talked about a couple of them already. It, transla- it, it changed one of them to Emperor of Doom. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> Uh, I believe I'm trying to look at where it corresponds. Uh, Fire Dragon was Emperor of Doom. Then we had Giant Beetle Monster for Jiju Guai. And eh, Jiju Guai is better. Yeah, the plant monster became Octopus Mutant. So maybe we don't have to worry about what's his name calling in. The free slope. Just saying. Yep. Yep. Zip it in it. Zip it in it. Yep. And there was one named Drill Arm, and he became driller beast and then laser horn monster and iron fist robots fair enough that's that's pretty that's pretty straightforward (laughs) and elzebub's dragon form was flying dragon lizard oh you forgot lord at the end yeah you forgot you forgot to put the word lord at the end almost (laughs) almost or would she be be flying dragon lizard lady (laughs) any of the any combination of these words would be Seriously, at a, at a certain at a certain point, you're just kind of throwing words at a character and seeing what sticks. <laughs> but but drag dragon mom is the, yeah. Is but the then we but then stuff. we have just like all the names in this because we have Mount Devil. If that's, yes, Mount okay, Devil. We get it. It's evil because that's that's bad guy HQ. There, you want to talk about metal? <laughs> yes. They're the bad guys' entrance is a their their HQ Mount Devil. 
is a dragon skeleton with smoke billowing out of it. Th- that is a that's a metal al- album cover if I ever saw one. It's either uh, a metal album cover or a really really obscure be- uh, Masters of the Universe playset. One of the two. <laughs> there you go. Oh yeah, I forgot. I called Witch Eye the hot uh, the hottest disco space nun er harlot. <laughs> oh my gosh, the sp- space nuns. Yeah, yeah, we she, don't talk about the disco space nuns. No. And then she gets, she, honestly, I think she gets it the worst out of everyone. I mean, I know we're jumping ahead, but she just kind of gets, she gets her hands chopped off and then she is thrown into lava. That is such a cruel way to go. I always thought that was like, whoa. <laughs> Like, well, I mean, except if evil. you pay real, except if you pay really close attention to the next shot where she's falling in, she's got her hands. <laughs> yeah, she has her hand. The, the model has her, has the hands. Whoops, not so good there, Shaw Brothers. Might want to, <laughs> might want to check that. Might want to check that. <laughs> okay. uh, and wow. I swear, it, well, I'm just now I'm just going through a bunch of random stuff, just looking at this. But their headquarters to this, is nuts. Welcome to this movie. This movie is a bunch of random stuff. I understand that, but yeah, but <laughs> yeah, we gotta talk. Oh, about that and I forgot we do have we have an in for Kenny for one scene. <laughs> yeah, for like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess it was the little girls like, is there an in for woman? Sorry, there we don't ha- we're not going to make enough money to make a sequel because that was there, going to be the sequel. There, <laughs> there almost was an in for woman. We got we there it almost was almost was gonna, an in for woman, but in the fact, movie did not perform well enough, and that is such a shame because imagine if they were still making Inframan movies today. Like they they just didn't stop. It was like it's like Sentai. They do a new one every year. That would that would be. That, a, that would be I don't know if they could keep this momentum going. <laughs> no, 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 no. This so the because the, the the thing about this movie is that it does have some downtime moments where the characters are talking and there's a little bit of development and the bad guys are scheming, but every other, it feels like every five minutes there's an action set piece in this thing. And it's just boom. It's just explosions and jumping and kicking and sound effects. And the, the monsters making weird constipated sounds while they're jumping around and being, yeah, they, they sound like, they sound a little bit like Ted Cassidy as the Hanna Barbera Godzilla. That's what they sound. Like. They, they they sound like they yeah they 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 sound like they're in pain. Poor guys, but they're you know like literally it's just all over the place. Things are exploding. Things are you know it's just it's just craziness and they're they're kicking uh, sounds and Inframan's bouncing around. Oh, I this forgot. I, I just frenetic. I forgot. Uh, our friend John Lemay had a had a chapter dedicated to this, so I just. I just need an excuse to uh, to cite John in every episode. Every so, episode. Every episode. <laughs> no, so I think I will add him to my list of sources. And just so I can solidify that, according to John, he said the Shaw Brothers used a hot air balloon to promote this movie in China. And I yes, hope they and- shot it down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, keeping it topical. There it is. Actually, this was, uh, this. was that's another first for this film. Promotion via hot air balloon mm-hmm. in Hong Kong. That's another first, along with there are, there are a couple of other things. The storyboard one is a big one. I think there was one other. And it was first. China's first superhero movie. China's first superhero movie. There you go. There you yeah. go. So, but yeah. So yeah, yeah, sorry. There was not a super, I would have loved to have. Can someone please do like some version? Like, give me a comic book of Infra woman. I need to see Infra woman. Continuation. I, a conti- more of the infraverse into the infraverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
into the infraverse. Yeah, I there you see, go. I want to But see. apparently, this is how you become an inframan, or I guess in this case, an infrawoman. You need good health, courage, and self-sacrifice. Yes, yes. Which is actually, I, I always thought that was that was interesting. The the idea that this guy goes in and has this procedure done to him because it's explained, you, you know, before long before the events of this movie kicked off, the the main scientist character has been developing this inframan tech. And he finally has an opportunity to use it. And he looks right in the, in the eyes of the guy, of uh, Rayma, who becomes who becomes Inframan. And he says, this is going to hurt, Slick. Like, this is not going to feel good. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, except we never really see him in pain. You don't see him in pain. Like, that's the funny thing is he's just, it's described as being this incredibly painful procedure. Now, we don't see the whole procedure, so you can infer. And when it does the weird kind of... Uh, superimposition cutaways to show all the metal underneath his skin. You have to imagine that like, yeah, most of his bones have apparently been replaced with metal. Yeah. That probably hurt. Yeah. He, he, that probably, we, we probably skipped a couple of operating scenes of this guy uh, pulling a Katsura on poor, on poor Rayma and just inserting clockwork into all of his nooks and crannies, which is not a good mental image. So uh, he probably was in pain. You know, like he probably, they probably, he pro- it probably sucked. <laughs> it probably sucked, but I, we, we don't see any of it. He's just kind of sleeping in uh, an interesting tea pose on the table. Um, we get it, movie. <laughs> we get it. We it's not subtle. They're like, we're fighting demons. It's, we know what the tea, we get it. He's rising again. Uh, uh, it's, it's super uh, inframan. Subtlety does not exist. This is this. No, no. This movie fr- being frenetic is the name of the game. There is not a subtle. Ounce I mean, I mean you know, inframan is apparently too cool to walk into the enemy lane. No, he has to backflip into the enemy lane. Yeah, he he's a bouncy boy, man. He's flipping and all then, over the but place. But then he gets ca- but then he gets captured in a missing scene or something because as soon as he gets in there, it's like, ha ha, we've captured you, inframan. We're like. Yeah, that sequence has always baffled me. I always wondered uh, when I first saw it if there was a a scene missing from the version I got. But no, he just kind of backflips in and the next moment he's hanging from the ceiling. It's like, what happened? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what you on? were saying? Well, I was just, pain, I was just saying. Yes. Pain. <laughs> I was just I was just saying that he's, you know, I think I was actually finished with what I was saying. Okay. What I'll, okay. What, I'll tra- what I'll transition into is we, we should talk a little bit about how he looks about the design. Uh, there's not a whole lot. To, there's not a lot this to say. But... Is nuts. He's all red and orange. He's a lot of warm colors. <laughs> he has big old common writer eyes. But oh, the rest yeah. of him, uh, and, uh, and I, I feel like he has a, uh, a Green Ranger dragon shield, but he did it first. And yeah, his, but then his, a lot his... of the other, but then a lot of the other design features look very Ultraman. Yeah, he's kind of like like I said before. He's kind of a perfect intersection. He has kind of an Ultraman esque physique and the mouth kind of reminds you of Ultraman a little bit. Not so much the nose, but the mouth. The eyes are straight common writer. The body proportions are very kickiter. He has the soft taco green ranger thing going on a little bit. <laughs> and it is the soft taco version. Because yeah, but it, it but most uh, but uh, but then like his moves are a weird mix of Ultraman and commoner. He has the lethal kick. That's the writer kick. Okay, we get the solar ray. Which is pose it's the Spestia beam, pose and apparently and it's powered by the sun. So, Inframan's yeah. kryptonite is a cloudy day. <laughs> oh, it's 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 not subtle. It's it's again not a not a lick of subtlety in this thing. But no, but uh, he but he does have infravision. 
he has infravision. Yes, infravision, and he he can you know, and he he flies. And one of my favorite beat like little little beats from the film is when he takes off for the first time from the lab, and you see him jump straight up in the lab, and then you just kind of see him flying out of the top of the building. It's like did he punch through the ceiling? How crazy would it be if that's how everything was born? Like as soon as it's born, it's like boing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like every baby animal ever just shoots straight up. It's like, yeah, it's, it's like, what did we have? A bouncing baby boy, literally. A, boing. a bouncing baby, a bouncing baby infra boy. <laughs> and a bouncing baby infra boy. God, that's the thing we're, is we're expanding the infra the infraverse as we speak. Got infra and, and infra boy. <laughs> yes the infra the infraverse is experiencing a boom right now get it because everything blows up in this friggin movie yes oh, oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything okay so this is this is something funny i did i oh, and then this- the fire bomb so it's like those exploding darts you know <laughs> yes the the deus ex darts at the end that he uses to, <laughs> the uh, deus ex dartica yeah yeah deus ex dartica where he just kind of thaws it there it is where he just kind of thaws himself out which is useful oh yeah oh, wait is. i forgot I, his kryptonite is not a cloudy day that just hamper. Although if it's the dub, they say he's solar powered, but the dub is silly. But you know he can't do the solar. He can't do the specium beam, man. But no, his. And this is what wrecked my friend Chris Cook when we talked about this on Headshot Man. He just he could not handle it. He could not handle it. <laughs> <laughs> he could not handle that Inframan's weakness was the glacier. <laughs> the glacier. They put it him in cold, which basically uh, means in my home state of Indiana, he's useless for three months out of the year. <laughs> imagine if he lived in Minnesota. <laughs> then that he's would... useless for nine months out of the year. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> exactly anyone in any listeners in minnesota tr- we, we we feel you we we see you all right we see you and, and then we, if he's if, and then if he's from canada or alaska it's 11 months out of the year. uh-huh and then he and then he uses the darts and he and he thaws himself out and he defeats the one thing that could have stopped him and then he has that great like that that last battle where he sends the mace brothers bouncing up the stairs and he gets rid of the rest of the boneheads and then <laughs> were they snarky? They were exceptionally snarky, Nathan, like just so <laughs> snarky. And then, OK, I mean, we can't we can't talk about this movie without talking about the single greatest moment. Right. <laughs> the six. Well, the six single greatest moments, I should say. <laughs> no, it was five. Well, it was five, but she she grew a sixth head and then and she grew a sixth up. head. Well, six. Because that is the number of imperfection. That is the devil's number. She has six heads. Whoa. Whoa. Oh it's my all God. Start- Deep, it's man. All start- I, could write, I could write an entire academic essay on this movie now suddenly. You Ooh. might be able to. <laughs> if you, the, if you the don't, The definitive analysis of super I Listen, if you don't do it, I will. Because I <laughs> love this movie more than should be reasonable for any sane Anyway, so yes. Love. Cut her head. She turns into a dragon because, of course, and then (laughs) proves the definition of of insanity and just keeps doing it over and over. Cutting her head off and it just keeps regrowing. And he keeps doing it. (laughs) The first time I saw that scene, oh my gosh. I I could not believe it. I 
was, I believe it was playing at G-Fest. I saw it at G-Fest on the in-house uh, hotel room channel. And it got to that end part. And it, it it's worth noting that the entire ending of this movie from the minute. The last from, 20 minutes is just nonstop minutes. action insanity. It's, what it, it's well, on Henshin, then we have an award called WTH What the Henshin for the craziest moment. I cheated. I said the whole the dang last, movie. The whole like, dang that movie. That was the title of the episode was WTH The Movie. Because that's that, that's what it is. That's what it is. But this moment, like the last 20 minutes of this movie is pure insanity with, with control. Like there's a moment where one of the boneheads gets thrown into water and the water explodes for no reason when he falls in. It's pure insanity. There, like things are exploding. And I'll I'll get to that in a sec, but because I did something kind of funny when I was watching it this last time I'll share. But the craziest moment is when Princess Dragon Mom, I know that's not her real name, but it's But it's funny. the funnier name. It's so funny. Uh is is well, sitting I, there well, just to justify citing John even more, he actually takes makes it slightly funnier in his chapter on this. He calls her Princess Dragon Ma. <laughs> Princess Dragon Ma. Ma. It's Dragon Ma. It's Dragon Ma. Down south, she Dragon Ma. But I don't know. <laughs> Ma and pa, Dragon Ma and Dragon Pa. It's the uh, it's the Beverly Hillbillies version of uh, Super Inspiration. <laughs> Dragon Ma. She tried to take on. Wild, of course. There you go. Dra- <laughs> Inframan <laughs> Green Acres. goofy there. Horsh. Yeah, there we go. It's Super Inframan. I-, I will do the rest of the episode like that if you don't stop me. I'm feeling a it. little. I'm feeling a little goofy right now. If you can't tell, this movie has. Okay, I've seen this movie. I don't know how many times I've seen. I have seen this movie probably more times than is healthy for me. I feel like this. Yeah, movie I think has, at like, this point, I, at this point, I'm afraid that if you watch it again, you'll like turn into like super infra Dan or something ridiculous. Super, like super infra Dan, super infra Dan. Yeah. You know what? That might be worth watching it. Oh, bet or better yet, or better yet. I, I use the deep, my DVD copy as like the beta capsule and I, I, I lift it high. There you go. <laughs> I, turn, I turn into super infra Dan. That would just I, be silly. You know, that would, that would, <laughs> yeah. Jimmy's with me. Yeah. It makes no sense whatsoever. But. Well, no, it doesn't make sense, but I said it out loud and now I'm, I have to kind of live with the fact that I made a very bad joke. Super Infradam. There he goes. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's his theme. That is Super Infradam's theme song right there. That's the sound <laughs> that accompanies. That's the sound. Sa- Thrill as he flies away, sadly, to the tune of a wet trombone. <laughs> anyway, so I've. I've seen this movie way more times than is healthy for a normal human brain to consume because I just love it so much. It's wacky. Uh, I, I know I said you describe it. How did you describe it to our friend, uh, Michael? Like, oh, what did, like, what did I say? Uh, like, I said, so, like an ins like, like an in uh, like a masterpiece of insanity or something like some, that. Something, something like that. It's like, you know, I don't remember what I said. I'll have to dig up the, the text when I get my, uh, wifi I, I, I when I get my cell fa- signal I, back. I, I don't have a good cell phone on this that, thing. Yeah, I just love the fact that August Ragone and Mr. Foster use words like psychotronic to describe it. I mean, it it's it works. Here, here's another word for you. Gonzo. This movie is insane. <laughs> this movie 
this movie is insane. It's completely insane. Yeah. But okay. So I, uh, I've, I've seen. Oh, no, here you go. I don't know where they got this, but according to them, this is a way the movie has been described apparently by the uninitiated hmm. or by the snob, the film snobs. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. A quote drug induced, nonsensical turkey full of McDonald land inspired creatures. <laughs> McDonald land. That's actually pretty accurate. Oh no, the Hamburglar versus Inframan. Super Inframan. Ronald McDonald was walking along in McDonald land one day when all of a sudden (laughs) things started blowing up for no darn reason. (laughs) And then a a guy in a red helmet with big blue eyes punched him in the face. (laughs) And then the big old mug got stepped on and squirted green goo all over his shoes. That was fun. But he got better. But he got better. Because <laughs> uh, we're chasing him right yeah, now. Yeah, apparently that didn't stick. Yeah, he's fine. He's fine now. So anyway, I've seen this movie more times than I than I should. And the only... Re- oh, no, here, here. Here's the line I was looking for. The film is a delirious, psychotronic masterpiece. An out-of-control, garish sci-fi fever dream of electrifying mayhem. It's... it's, it's per- hey, electric mayhem. How many how many more uh, uh, Muppets references can we sneak into this episode? Electrifying. I know, electrifying. but it, it reminded me of electric mayhem, and I had to say it. I know. So... We got Sweetums. We got we got Electric Mayhem. Electric Mayhem. I, I did a bad Gonzo impression. It's all good. So okay, the reason I mentioned this is because I actually did something a little bit wacky while I was watching it for the forty eight thousandth time uh, before I hopped on my boat and sailed all the way to to Hong Kong. From the, I actually decided to count the explosions. What? <laughs> now hold on. I didn't count all of them because I I didn't want my eyeballs to to hemorrhage. But what I I set myself some ground rules. So I started from the moment that Inframan hashtag backflips into the cave and then gets captured to the end of the movie. Unnecessary backflips. Unnecessary backflips. <laughs> and I kid you not, from the moment he flips into the cave to the end of the movie when the island blows up, I counted. So that's what. 10 minutes? <laughs> I Yeah, something like that. I counted 59 explosions. Oh my Just word. in that <laughs> amount of time. And I didn't count the outside battle. I just counted the cave. And then when they left, I counted 59 individual booms between bad guys exploding, control panels exploding, laser beams exploding, giant skulls exploding, heads exploding, monsters exploding, inframan exploding, the air exploding, that one moment where water explodes. But listen, the, everything at the end of this movie, this might be the most explosive film ever made. Like this movie might have more booms in it per, per minute than any boom loving movie I've ever seen in my life. So if you like, if you like explosions, I feel like Michael Bay is freakishly happy. Shall we say over this movie? I wonder if he's ever seen it. I wonder if he's ever seen, he probably, he's probably, it's probably come to his attention since then because every, everybody's like, Oh, you're Michael Bay. You like explosions. You should watch this. Like it, somebody's done that. I'm sure <laughs> come up to him at a press junket and said, dude, have you ever seen super Inframan? It's totally righteous, man. You got to see it. <laughs> but 50, 59, 59, it's out of control. It's this movie is out of control. And, but here's the thing about it is it's, it's frenetic, it's bonkers, it's it's nuts, but it's not chaotic. 
if that makes any sense. I don't like chaotic movies that are just throwing things at the screen and it's almost like too much for my brain to process. I can't, I can't really get behind those where it's just so much that I don't know what's happening. This is well-crafted chaos. If it's chaos at all, this is well-crafted. It's well-crafted chaos. That's a good way. I think it's a pretty good way to describe this film. It is a pretty good one. And I wonder if part of that is the, well, I mean, like when I read the interview with the director, he didn't seem like some ridiculous fella who's, he drinks too much caffeine and takes drugs or something. He seems like a pretty down to earth sort of guy. Yeah. And, you know, you know, you, when you look at some of the Japanese stuff that was inspiring, I mean, good grief. I mean, Ultraman Leo is insane. This, this but... was the decade of out of control, you know, bonkers, insane. What the heck did I just see? Tokusatsu TV and film. Right. This was the, right. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 the other Japanese connection that I should mention is Nishimoto Tadashi. He was the uh, cinematographer. No, he's the cameraman. But Hua Shan was his second assistant as a, a, a second assistant when Mr. Tadashi was a cinematographer. I wanted to make sure I brought that up. It was actually Mr. Tadashi who convinced the Shaw brothers to go from black and white to widescreen color. Interesting. I did not know that. Oh, that's super mm-hmm, cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Sean was Shan was working in the industry starting in 1963, so he was in it for 12 years. And he stayed with Shaw until the early 70s, and he worked in Taiwan for a little while, and then he said that <laughs> he was surprised they asked him to come back to direct this movie. <laughs> hey, you want to come direct a totally like off-the-wall bonkers uh, Ultraman ripoff? Come on, come hang out with us. And that's like, I use that word as a joke. Mm. I don't consider this film to be a ripoff of anything. It's just part of a genre that was exploding. It's It wears its influences on its sleeve. Oh boy, does it. But it's not a ripoff. I wouldn't say it's a ripoff. Now, there are elements of it that are like tread into copyright infringement territory. There are writer kicks in this film. There's a specium beam pose in this film. It's there, but it's so like, it's just, it's just part of it. You know, it's just part of the, the weird and wacky tapestry of 1970s tokusatsu where anything can happen. It's just completely bonkers and you go with it because it's oddly, it's fascinating. It's entertaining there's something kind of oddly beautiful about it. You know what I mean? Not that it's like, like right. a stunning thing, but just the fact that it's, again, what have we always said about tokusatsu? That it invites you into a reality where even the most nuts, crazy things make sense and you can accept that they're happening in front of you, just no matter how crazy that is. Right. That's what this film does. And if you like, gosh, I mean, I, I would go as far as to say that if you're somebody who like there are a lot of different things that this intersects with. If you like Kaiju, watch it. If you like Ultraman, watch it. If you like Super Sentai or, 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 or Kamen Rider, Kamen Rider, Rider for sure. Kaida, uh, Zaborgar, martial arts, movies. martial arts, yeah, Kung Fu movies. If you are into Shaw brothers as, cause Shaw brothers has made so many movies that they're basically a genre unto themselves. It feels it really like does it. like watch it. Like this is an intersection of all, like really all of the things that make, Asian fantasy cinema so appealing to people, especially people that might mostly be used to the groundedness of Western storytelling. There's this kind of beautiful acceptance of the bizarre and a beautiful acceptance of the the completely unhinged in Asian storytelling, where they lean into the fantasy and they lean into the 
reality of it over the realism of it. And it's just like anything can happen. And there's something very freeing about that from a visual standpoint, from a storytelling standpoint. And I know I'm saying a lot of very quote unquote, quote unquote, profound, you know, nonsense right now while talking about the super inframan, but for real, like if that's the kind of stuff that appeals to you, then this movie is such a fun time. It is such a fun right, time. Right. Uh, so that's an almost too perfect way to transition to the Toku topic, but I did want to bring up a couple more quick notes here. Our hero in this, Rayma, played by a guy named, well, how funny is this? Danny Lee. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. And we've seen Danny Lee. That was his stage, that was a stage name. name. And we've seen him before. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Uh, his claims to fame is that he discovered Stephen Chow and Lucy Liu. Mm -hmm. And he played alongside Chow Young Fat in John Woo's The Killer. Yeah. This guy is no joke, but we got to mention his kaiju connection, too. Oh, what's that? Remind he me. He was also the lead in a little movie that the Shaw brothers made called Goliathon that the world at large would probably know oh, yes. as the mighty Peking man. Yes, that's true. He'll, so yeah, he's coming. So we're going to see, gonna him, see again. him again, but so he's, he's but, um, interest, but interestingly, the, someone asked the director is like, Hey, did he do all his own stunts? He's like out of suit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, if it was the Inframan costume, that wasn't that was him. him. That was a stunt man. But, but whenever the stunt man wearing the suits got tired, he would volunteer to do yeah. it. And since we're on the topic of casting, I actually had one other cast member that I have to mention. I would be remiss not to mention him while we were talking about this movie. And that is this this incredible fun fact. Bruce Lee is in this movie. <laughs> is it Bruce Lee or Bruce Lee? <laughs> it's it's uh, lay, but it's OK, so. You you know where I'm going. We'll talk. About, that's actually something that we're going to bring up in the token okay, topic. Well, but but that, I'll, I'll save it. That for, was a I'll thing. Save but it yes. for that then. But uh, air yeah. quotes up to the mic like Luke Cecchinetti, Bruce, Bruce Lee. Lee. I'll we'll leave that as a cliffhanger till we get to that. But oh boy, I have right. I have to talk about him. The only other thing I was going to bring up is our first truly insane action sequence is when the <laughs> the obviously named plant monster or octopus whatever attacks the science headquarters and i'm like this is proto biolante isn't it it's probably the most impressive special effects in the entire movie oh the, the visual effects for that sequence are great there are a couple moments like where you see the the tentacle break through the wall you can really kind of sense the human hand in there wiggling it around but the the wire work is really impressive there are some giant practical vines that are like tree trunk sized like huge that they actually built they probably only built half of it for the camera but it's there and it looks good. And I mean, I can't speak from experience because I've never tried this, but I, I know from people who've, who've told me and experiences I've read and just from the fact I have to assume that they know what they're talking about, that fighting with something that's supposed to be muscular, but is just a something dangling off of strings, a big old lump of lifeless rubber, that is not only hard to do from the perspective of making it look real, but also making it look like it's attacking you. I mean, all those vines that are grabbing people and wrapping around them, and in some cases, just kind of slapping them across the room. People get slapped by plants in this movie. Watch it if you haven't. It's a <laughs> it is a master. People get slapped by plants in this movie, and they go spiraling off into the distance because they got slapped in the face by a plant. It's great. 
but those plants have no weight. <laughs> they have no weight. They're just vines on strings. You can see some of the strings in this film as well. The wire work, which which yeah. never bothered that never bothered me. It just shows you how it was done. It's it, it's not even a. I don't right. even notice it. Yeah, but like I said, it's pretty nuts. It's a great you know. sequence. It's a great sequence. <laughs> it, it really is. No, Jimmy, you said it a third time. Okay, we, we we better move on before something weird happens. And he's already gone. Oh, for crying out loud. Tell him he gets three minutes. Hello, Mr. March, and you rang. <laughs> no, I... But apparently you're like Beetlejuice as soon as we say your name three times, you just have to call in. But if you must know, we were talk we were just talking about the octopus plant mutant monster thing and super inframan. What's your opinion on that? Oh yes, I I can't say as I've ever been lucky enough to meet the man. It seems he fell into something of a troubling spot a most deplorable situation back in the oh what was it the mid-1970s it seems that some spandex-clad loser rode in on a motorcycle and did him in <laughs> uh, why why did he do that i wonder who could ever who could ever dream of hurting a beautiful plant monster all it was doing was def- Defending its self. Why? <laughs> Why? I, I mean, I don't know. It looked, you know, judging by this movie, it had been sent by Princess Dragon Mom to do all kinds of murder. Princess Dragon Mom, you say? Oh my, that's, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. I haven't corresponded with her since my college days. Do you, do you happen to know how she's doing these days? Oh, I mean, is she, uh, I don't know, lost her head a few times? Oh, well, we've all been there a few times, haven't we? I'm, I'm sure you can, I'm sure you, you can, you can relate. Have you ever, have you ever lost your head, Mr. Marchand? <laughs> uh, not literally as of yet, but, you know, I have oh. been known to lose my mind on occasion. Well, I already knew that. I, I, I made it funny. Yeah, yes, you, yes, you did. So, have you? I, I don't know. Do you have any samples or whatnot of this infamous plant monster? I mean, I, we were. I was just talking with Danny, and who's sitting there, just looking absolutely terrified right now. He doesn't quite know what to do with himself. I am terrified and I, don't know what to do with myself. I will fully agree to that. Yes, yes, yes. Do you have any samples or anything of this infamous plant monster that the spandex man hurt so badly, as you put it? Well, I was able to procure a sample a few years ago. It was sent to me in an unmarked package, and, well, I wasn't quite sure what it was when I opened it. Sometimes plants do tend to mold together in your mind, and sometimes they they do seem a bit similar, but... A little bit of studying, and I was able to detect a bit of strata locked inside of its cells. Strata, dirt, you see. Dirt, ancient dirt from, from the glacial ages, the ice age. And I was able to prove that it was millions of years old, and that it was sentient. And so I did the only normal thing that a man in my position, a monster-slash-kaiju-botanist, could do. 
I asked it its name politely. And do you know what it did? Oh, too bad. We're out of time. So we're never going to find out its name. You can save that for the next time you come on. Bye, Mr. Dorif. I'm sorry about that, Danny. Wow. Yeah, that was. Okay. Hang on. I need, I need to hang on. Let me just, I got to grab something. to. Mind if I take a drink real quick? That was a little weird. Yeah, no, you go ahead and do that. Yeah, oh, man. those are that's some, better. you know, that's some special like monster island water. I'm sure it's been purified by like kaiju oh, fire. Tastes good. I don't tastes know. good. That was actually some good water. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, you yeah. had to go. Yeah, and... Jimmy, Jimmy, we're going to have a talk after today's broadcast. How in the because... world did he even call in? He's on the, he's still on the island. Unless he, we have this. If you looked at the technology in this robot, we have amazing phone technology. In okay, this. well, I'm glad to hear that. But a horrifying thought just occurred to me, Jimmy. Do we know, and I mean know for a fact, that you two are the only people on this robot? His girlfriend is here too. She's just taking a nap. In the next room. That's fair. That's, that's a lot. Fair. Listen, I'm sorry. I'm still kind of stuck in covert mode where nobody's supposed to know that she exists. So I, I try to, I, I'm still, oh, well, I'm that, still in. Thankfully. We don't have to worry about that anymore. That, I just. Yeah. Thankfully yeah. that all got resolved within the last month or so. So we're, we're that's good. A real, that, and that we're is. Good a, apparently, apparently he gave her a name now. Oh, she has a name. Really? Interesting. Jimmy, what's her name? Yeah. Oh, that's actually appropriate and. Very sweet, Jimmy. I like that name a lot. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah, Kaguya. What a beautiful Cute. name and very appropriate. Very appropriate. Yeah, very appropriate. But anyway, we have a Toku topic to get to. You know, I'm the kaiju guy now, thanks to the Monster Island Film Fault. But before that, I was the superhero guy. I wonder if there's a way I could combine those. Hey, Nathan. Uh, Travis from Kaiju Weekly. Yeah, I'm here because I need a co-host for a new Toku Heroes podcast. Oh, what's it called? Him. Shim. Standing by. Complete. That's right, heroes. We are the Henshin Men, a Tokusatsu superheroes appreciation podcast. Join us as we watch several episodes of a TV series from the wide world of Henshin heroes and discuss their merits and cultural significance. Starting with one of my all-time favorites, the original Kamen Rider from 1971. We'll give out awards for things like the best action scenes and crazy what the Henshin moments. So hear us every Monday in your favorite podcatcher to get your weekly Rider Kicks. Gotta go, cause we only have a minute to henshin it. So, while that lovely podcast ad was playing, you and I were losing our dang minds, making jokes that only the patrons will hear. This is what happens to your brain on Inframan. This is your brain. This is your brain on Inframan. Any questions? Like, seriously. Yes. This is the, pa the patrons got a little bit extra, a little bit of extra 
access to our yep. brains melting down after watching this movie. Yeah, all I have, uh, all you need to know is that we casted Super Infra Muppets. And we did a darn good job of casting it, I think, too. So when we launch the Kickstarter and we try to topple the Disney Empire with our blatant IP infringement, please do support us. Yes. Yes. Cool. Yes, quite. Yes, quite. Anyway. Yes, quite. Anyway, so... <laughs> We're talking about our Toku topic today, which is one that you seem pretty excited about. So we're talking about martial arts cinema. So it's like a little history. I'm not going to go into so much the elements of the genre or anything, because that is a whole podcast unto itself, if not a series of podcasts. But I'm going to be going over a brief history of it. And it goes farther back and is more interesting than you think. Ooh, how presumptive of you to think I don't think that already. I'm kidding. Go <laughs> I wasn't talking to I you. Know. I was talking to the kaiju lovers. I know you were talking to the kaiju lovers. Okay, go ahead. Not everything is about you, oh, Danny. trust me, I know. I'm under no illusions of that. <laughs> <laughs> right. But anyway, so we'll start off with, what, uh, with the Chinese term for this. Have you ever heard the word wuxia? Wuxia. I have heard that word. You have I've heard, heard that Okay. Word. Now... Looking over my sources, I found several different translations of this. One said that Wu, W-U, if you spell it out with English letters, means martial arts, and Sha, X-I-A, X-I-A means convey, is basically chivalry, conveys chivalry. So you could translate it as chivalrous combat, or literally, like the literal translation of this, is martial heroes. Nice. I did not, I did not know that. Yeah. Now, according to the, this is a real thing that exists, the Grindhouse database, quote, the term Kung Fu films came into general use along with the films of Bruce Lee. That's a name you're going to hear a lot going forward and was used to refer to unarmed combat films. While Wu Shapien, that's a longer version of that term, is Mandarin, Kung Fu is from the Cantonese vernacular. The Kung Fu film is thus unique in Hong Kong cinema. With the term itself in the local dialect, the genre was named as the territory's very own. End quote. Yes, quite. Yes, quite. <laughs> and, you know, there are different subgenres and everything related to this. Arguably, there are some in other countries like Japan. Like you could say that. Jidai Geki or Samurai Films Chanbara, as they would call it, would you know, could be included with this. So it's actually a bit broader than people think it is. Kind of like Kaiju, eat it, Elijah. <laughs> Elijah. You're fine. He's fine. I hope your ears fine. I hope your ears are burning. <laughs> there are probably a couple of other things that are burning too. A couple internal organs, a few teeth. He's a hunk of hunk of burning rage. <laughs> well, that's what happens when you're the littlest gatekeeper. I'm just saying. Anyway, we love we you, do. Elijah. But <laughs> we do <laughs> to death. Ooh, anyway, so, but here's the thing: this actually go this quote unquote genre actually goes all the way back to the mid 1760s with Peking opera. Peking opera. Do tell. Yes. Quite. So at that time. The Manchu Dynasty banned Shaolin. And I remember coming across this in some other research I did. So they banned Shaolin and they burned down the temple. And only five monks survived. There's actually been movies made about this from what I understand. 
and they trained with whatever they could find. So like farming tools, just anything they could get so they could fight their oppressors. And then when they fought that battle, only three of them survived. Hmm. I, I don't know this story. And one of these survivors was a gentleman by the name of Master Zhishan. Zhishan. And he taught his skills to traveling Peking opera actors. Hmm. He did so so that he could make sure that the teachings were preserved. And so he could sow the seeds of rebellion. (laughs) (laughs) He was playing a long game. (laughs) And I do mean a long game because it took 100 years. (laughs) 100 years the Peking opera actors did join a rebellion against the Qing dynasty. And then that didn't work out. So guess what happened? What happened? They banned opera. Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> wow. So <this> is <laughs> they banned opera. So this is, this is really interesting. Yeah. They banned opera and they had to perform in secret. And that was in effect for 20 years. Wow. Mm-hmm. But to this day, Peking opera still teaches Shaolin martial arts. And their training is brutal. <laughs> I saw some interviews with people like Sammo Hung, who said that, yeah, they weren't nice. <laughs> yeah, you hear that a lot about about a lot of schools and centers for for training for this kind of thing is that they will they will beat the crap out of you. <laughs> they will make you they Literally. will make you earn it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Jimmy, I doubt you went to a school that bad. And even if he did, I really even if do. He did you know he? Who doesn't want to talk about it, right? Like he's not going to talk about it. Uh, no, he never. He doesn't. He doesn't want to talk about he it. He doesn't anything. want to talk about it unless it's his new girlfriend. He talks about her. Oh, all I the think time. he's earned that. Anyway, that's fine. That's yeah, that's yeah, adorable. He has. Jimmy, I mean, you're you're. It Jimmy, is you're adorable. adorable. And it, I mean, the man, the man had you know died once, saving us from the you know the Messiah thirteen alien invasion. So I guess he's owed a little bit of happiness. Right? I mean, I would I would say so. I'd say he's owed a bit of happiness just in general as a you know, a, a good man, but we're not here to talk about Jimmy. Well, yes, Polly, Annie, Danny, you would say, I would that. say, anyway, I would say that because I'm, on. I'm insulting. What is it like? Del, del, uh, it, no, it was positive to the point of being delusional. <laughs> End quote from my friend, Nathan Marchant. Uh, <laughs> Sir, I have receipts of some of the things you said to me in text messages, although I mostly blame Michael for those. So we're moving ooh, on. <laughs> ooh, blackmail. Do you enjoy being under the bus, Michael? <laughs> Why, this is like blackmail. <laughs> uh, anyway, but not only opera, but the other thing that was developing along uh, at the same time that would influence martial arts films was the wuxia novels and they were be heavily influenced by taoist mythology and folklore and they included references to things like people flying and that developed alongside like i said martial arts cinema and and influenced it and in this folklore unlike a lot of other cultures humans could attain the powers of the taoist deities such as flight because that's a thing that happened. A lot of people weren't aware of it until Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon came out in the United mm-hmm. States. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but they could achieve those sorts of godlike abilities through martial study. And you see it a lot in anime, too. That's a big thing in anime. You train so hard that you you know attain greater and greater power. Yeah, you, you learn. And they don't often call it that, especially not in like English versions, because you watch a lot of those mm-hmm. things and you you know they're, you know, 
trying to summon their key or chi power and they're used their they're they're using Taoist principles. Yeah, we just talked about that on the we power did. Drag. I don't think we talked about Taoism that much on the, the that episode, but we definitely talked about key slash chi a lot on that episode. And it's it's kind of relevant here too. Yes, we did. Yes. Oh, we talked about it a lot. But it was fascinating. Yes, we did. Yes, it yes. was. Yes, quite. So you know, but that, and also that's why a lot of martial arts films are ad, are literary adaptations. You know, so like the big classics. You know, they they the sources I looked at mentioned several. The one that most people would know would be Journey to the West. I mean, that's the big one. And there have been a lot of of quote unquote wuxia adaptations of Journey to the West. There have been a lot of adaptations of it, just in general, just all over. I know everywhere. We're 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 zeroing in. We're zeroing in. We're zeroing (laughs) in. But like all I'm saying is like people, you like even if you don't know it by that name, you know that story. You know it. You know that story. Right. Right. If you watch Dragon Ball Z, Uh you know it. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Looking at you, drifters. But anyway, (laughs) so when movies started in China in the early 1900s, the Peking opera became less male-dominated because acting was frowned upon. That, that is a job that's too low for you. So that's when a lot of women started doing it. And then women started getting into a lot, believe it or not, into the early <laughs> martial arts films. And they would play men. It was like the opposite of Shakespearean acting. You know, when, back when, if you were in... If you were a contemporary with Shakespeare in one of his plays, you they would have men play women. It was the opposite because acting was looked at as like one of the lowest jobs that you could do. Which is such nonsense. I know yeah, it is. It goes without saying. It's so weird to think that it's two different cultures at two different times with two with two very different perspectives. Two very different two very different perspectives, but both of them coming down awfully on women. If you think about it, two different, two different ways of yeah, approaching I know, it. Right. Like, I, I don't know. Right. Right. So at this point, early on, the most accomplished martial arts actress was, again, I apologize for screwing up these names in case I do, was Chin Sayong. She formed her own film company in the 1930s and produced movies that she starred in. And her grands, she has a very famous grandson. You know who her grandson is? I do not. Sammo Hung. Okay, then. <laughs> wow, okay. That's a connection I never made. Yep. So, the the first quote-unquote martial arts film was something from 1928. It was called The Burning of the Red Lotus Temple, and it established the tradition of strong story and notable action. And here's the thing. One of my sources is how it phrases it. It was so popular, it spawned 27 movies. Another source made more sense of that. It was a serial. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was a 27-part serial, but apparently that means it was 27 hours long. Each each part of the serial of was television. an hour? Each part of the serial was an hour long. Apparently. That's nuts. That was pretty... I mean, that's, that's, that's crazy because uh, American serials from the 30s and 40s were... 20 or 20, 30 minutes. They weren't that long. Right. But unfortunately, we'll never know for sure because they've all been lost. I was about to say, do they still exist? Gosh darn it. Well, I mean, a lot of stuff from, from no. Asia doesn't, from that long ago, just doesn't exist anymore. What a, what a shame. Yeah. Yeah. However, encyclopedia.com actually argues that there was another movie made the year before 
called Romance of the West Chamber that it says is arguably the start of it. Hmm. But, you know, Burning of the Red Lotus Temple was what really solidified it, I'm guessing. So it's like, this is the predecessor, and that's the real thing. You know, it's, it's I don't know, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, Godzilla. There you go. Maybe. That's too bad. I don't know. Who knows? But it's too bad you can't watch it because I would love to sit and watch that. That's right. Oh, that's such a now shame. it did say that the you know, romance of the West Chamber was considered more sophisticated entertainment because it had some spe- uh, some elaborate special effects and opera style fight choreography. You're going to notice that a lot going forward. The reason why martial arts films are the way they are is because of the opera influence. Because opera is larger than life by dis- by definition. It definitely explains the theatricality of it, which is also something in Japanese culture. A lot of right. a lot of no theater and a lot of kabuki, kabuki theater got into like basically permutated into how their films work and especially how tokusatsu works. So it's interesting that that was happening right parallel. That's really fascinating. Yeah. Now, when talkies came, <laughs> some things never change. I don't care if we're in Hong Kong. I uh, <laughs> I will say it. The government mandated that all films be made in Mandarin, the predominant language in China. So many Cantonese-speaking filmmakers fled to Hong Kong because it was still a British colony at the time. Mm, that's right. But film production, like many things, stopped during World War II. As you do. Yeah. Then the genre was saved by a man... Named Wong Fei Hung. You ever heard of Wong Fei Hung? I can't say as I have. I might have heard of what he did, but I'm not, I can't place the name. Well, here's the thing. He's a historic figure. Died in 1927. He was a martial artist, a doctor, and I forget. There was another thing that was attached to him. But he's, 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 right up, well, a doctor, martial artist, Cantonese hero. Yeah, so he's a semi-mythic figure. He was a real person, Mm -hmm. but they started making movies about him after that. They made 90 of them. (laughs) So what's interesting is that that actually, oddly enough, and here's another parallel, reminds me of the Japanese figure of Miyamoto Musashi, the legendary Japanese Mm -hmm. swordsman who, again, was a real person. He was a real guy. And his story, his life story was adapted into some early samurai films, some early Jidaigeki films in Japan. And then it's mm-hmm. th- that story has been told in books and in manga, and it's been romanticized and it's been told short form. It's been serialized long form. It's just one of those things that just continues and continues. And his story right. is considered a kind of a fundamental part of the formation of Jidaigeki as a, as a genre in Japan. So again, interesting parallels really interesting right right so he was played by it this is crazy there were 90 movies and he was played by the same actor wow okay Quantock hing that is a lot yeah. crazier than anything that was done with musashi because i'm talking about 90 things over the course of 100 years of pop culture this was all done i mean it had 90 movies they had to have been shot one a week you know, like that's crazy. Yeah, you would think. Yeah, he was really popular because he was this idealized hero that was on screen. And the guy who got this started, a director by the name of Wu Peng, he broke tradition and actually hired real martial artists instead of peaking opera actors. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Wow. But despite his that guy's popularity, that character's popularity, 
acting was still frowned upon, uh, you know, for men to participate in. So women continued to be popular in martial arts cinema at the time, playing men in the 1950s. All the way up into the 50s. That is craziness. Yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then once you get to, you know, you get to the, the late 60s, well, just the 60s, I would say, two Im- uh, important studios got popular. One was the Cathay Company. I have no idea who they are. Take a while, guess who the other one is. Well, I'm sure I don't know what you're talking about, but uh, anyway, that was not funny. That was not funny. That wasn't funny, and I said it anyway. My fam- my fam- <laughs> Thank you. You know what? That yeah, my- Making my family proud here at the Monster Island Film Vault. Shaw Brothers, there you go. All kidding aside. It was Shaw Brothers. Yep. Shaw Brothers. Shaw Brothers. They built a self-contained studio in the 19... 19- oh, it's the 1950s. Oh, I thought it was the 60s. No. Uh, the 1950s on Clearwater Bay in Hong Kong. It was practically a city. Everybody lived there. They had everything they needed. The, the actors, the crew, everybody just lived there. Yeah, it was basically a comedy. Made their movies. Yeah, yeah. Basically. Basically. And then you had guys who worked there named Raymond Chow and Run Run Shaw, who improved standards for filmmaking during this time. And they were taking note of Japanese filmmakers like Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. And they started emulating his movies and Wait. samurai films. If you're going to steal, steal from the best. Just saying. Of course. Yes. Now, there were three directors, and like I said, this these could all be unpacked in much longer podcast episodes, but there were three directors at this time with Shaw Brothers who became incredibly influential, but for different reasons. These were <laughs> King Hu, Chong Che, and Lao Kar Luang. 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 Leung. Leung. Okay. Leung. Sorry. I believe it's Leung. Butchering the names. Yeah. Chong Che made action movies. And he emphasized the bonds between men because of one of the facets, one of the more popular facets of martial arts movies was romance. And he's like, nope, <laughs> <laughs> we ain't doing that. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't interested in that. King who, on the other hand, emphasized negative space like Chinese watercolor paintings. And there's a there's a rhythm and buildup thanks to the Peking opera influence. So if you watch any of his movies, like the clips I was seeing, it would be there's there's action and then there's silence and tension. It's building and then there's action and then they would keep jumping back. But there's a rhythm to it. And he took influence from Hitchcock with suspense. Is anyone surprised? <laughs> I should hope not. Yeah. And unlike Chung Che, he emphasized romance. Yeah, he was he was into the romance. He, he that, that that was his thing. <laughs> he didn't. Yeah, shun it. He was also influenced by Bonnie and Clyde, the movie from 1967 with slow motion. Interesting. That's mm-hmm. an interesting connection. And they sh- uh, the documentary I watched actually showed a clip of one of his movies alongside a clip of Bonnie and Clyde. And you can it's very apparent that he that he took influence from there. Now, interesting. Leung, this guy's interesting. He can trace his training lineage. He's an actual martial artist. He can trace his training lineage all the way back to Master Shan, one of those survivors that we talked about from the 1760s. Wow. wow. Yep. And he strove to have real martial arts on screen. So he would make movies about monks, which bucked against the, you know, the romance trend in martial arts films. And... One of his most well-known and popular movies 
is the 36 Chambers of Shaolin. That's one of the big Shaw Brothers movies. People who aren't like Shaw people, like like really into Shaw Brothers, still know about that film. Right. Right. Yeah, and he was uh, this director, Mr. Leung, was nicknamed the Dictionary of Kung Fu. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. Because he knew right. his he knew his stuff. He, he knew his stuff. He absolutely knew his stuff. The, the guy, the, I mean, it's that's an that's a that's a fascinating film to watch. Mm-hmm. And he also did Executioners from Shaolin as well, which is another one of Shaw's more well-known film i mean he did a bunch of them but they're they're just they're these are just a handful you right. know just the, we, could, we could just keep going again shaw brothers made so many films it's ridiculous they did they did so from the grindhouse database quote in addition to their cinematic innovations king hu and chang che provided new codes of behavior for their characters moving away from wong fei hung's confucian attitudes these films tended toward the buddhist and taoist while earlier wusha pian presented complex relationships in a careful causality of events the Ma- the mandarin martial arts films emphasized the sword-based combat romance and the fantastic with fights erupting on the slimmest excuse <laughs> quote gotta fight gotta fight any excuse for a fight i think we know which camp Super Inframan falls under. <laughs> Again, it ain't subtle. Yeah, it's not subtle. <laughs> Whew, yeah. It's not. Now, also around this time, the uh, martial arts cinema is starting to spread around the world and into the United States because of the liberalization of the Immigration Act of 1965. Although there was an American film in 1955 called Bad Day at Black Rock that had Spencer Tracy, where he was actually performing some martial arts during a fight scene, but it wasn't a lot. So starting to get big in the rest of the world. Starting to spread. Yeah. And then this is so funny. You know how we, you and I have talked about how in 1970, unhappy things happened in, in Japanese movies. The Japanese film industry crashed. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You had a, it seems like you had a little bit of a similar event in Hong Kong because in 1970, things started to change. One of those was that Chow left Shaw Brothers and founded Golden Harvest with Leonard Ho. Yeah, that's a name that that's a familiar name to anybody who (laughs) digs their movies. Oh, yeah, that's a a can of worms. And the Shaw Brothers did a bunch. The studio did a bunch of downsizing because they thought TV was going to overtake film. Very common, uh, depending on who you're talking to, either concern slash worry or opportunity at the time. Depends on who you were. Right. So that's some negative things going on, some depressing things going on. But then you had another big thing that happened around this time. Whatever could that have been? His name is Bruce Lee. (laughs) (laughs) Never heard of him. Just kidding. Just kidding. kidding. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Bruce Lee could be an entire like series of podcasts unto himself. I am in no way getting anywhere close to extensive with what I'm talking about here, but (laughs) 
As Encyclopedia.com put it, quote, Bruce Lee is the martial arts is to martial arts film what Charlie Chaplin is to the silent comedy, what James Dean is to the teen movie, and what John Wayne is to the Western, with something of all of them in his timeless screen persona. End quote. What a perfect way to sum up Bruce. Like for real, that's entirely (laughs) accurate. That's wow. That's pretty profound. I mean, again, Bruce Lee is a can of worms, but that's a a lot to get into. But yeah, I mean, it's right. If you've never seen, if you've never seen a a Kung Fu movie, you still know who Bruce Lee is. I guarantee you you know who Bruce Lee is. Uh, He's a cultural icon. Oh, to say the least. Really? Yeah. What makes him unique is that he's actually American. He was born in San Francisco. He's actually, and he's half white. (laughs) So he had a westernized American attitude, which was very different from the more repressed Chinese attitude at the time. So he really stood out. Yeah. And again, you could, we could get into a bunch of stuff about this. He went to Hollywood. He tried to be successful. He was Cato on the Green Hornet, which is a show. I, I need to find a place where I can stream the Green Hornet because I need to see this, especially since I know there's a crossover with, with Batman 66 and Bruce is in it. Yeah. You know what? Get the DVD. Don't bother streaming it. Just invest in the DVD. I'm, it's worth probably it. should at this point. It's worth it. It's worth it. And while you're at yeah. it, get, get the 66 Batman on Blu-ray. Just, just it looks. I, I should. Yeah. I should at this point. <laughs> I should. But besides that, so he did have a little bit of success there. The fact that we had an Asian actor as a regular on a television show at the time on American TV. It's kind of a big deal. That's a huge deal. He also. Yeah. Yeah. He also did go- try to get the starring role on the TV show Kung Fu but lost it to David Carradine. (laughs) What brilliant casting. (laughs) He was a little bit upset about that, though. I cannot blame the man in the least. I mean, I uh, I get it. It's David Carradine, and David Carradine went on to do great work on that show. mm -hmm. But still. Yeah, that's, I mean, the the sentence, they turned down Bruce Lee for dot, dot, dot. It doesn't matter who comes after the three dots you still turned down Bruce Lee <laughs> and I get it. He wasn't, he wasn't a thing at the time. He wasn't a, phenomenon, you know, it's a, but... it's a, I think it's, it's a sign of the times. Unfortunately, yeah. there's still, a, I think a little bit of lingering racism there. Uh, you know, I don't know if they necessarily meant it maliciously, but even if, even if not in that instance, it is it, the sixties, it, it was the sixties yeah. and as awful as it was, it was a thing. It was a, it thing. Was a thing. So after, so at that point he returned to his adopted country of Hong Kong. And he started making movies. He only made four. Well, four and a half. Four and a half. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't yeah, didn't quite. He was point. working on a fifth movie and then and didn't finish it because he kind of died. But we'll get to that. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah. He, didn't, he, so, he kind of died. You guys, he kind of died. Yeah, yeah. Which actually yeah, is kind of humor. It, it, yeah, a thing. We'll get Jimmy, it's a humorous understatement. Come on, <sighs> man. Come on. Come on. We're, we're, anyway. We're, we're, yeah. Yeah, encyclopedia.com, quote, rejecting the King Who style of fight choreography and the big budget aesthetics of Chang Che's Shaw Brothers epics, Lee brought a down and dirty look and a new fighting style to films, end quote. So he was bucking all the trends. And it caught (laughs) on. Yeah, and it caught on like insane. I mean, imagine if the guy had gotten to do more than four, uh, you know, 4.5 movies, you know, the guy. 
Oh, and you've heard, even if you haven't seen them, you've heard of these movies. Yeah, The Big Boss, that was his first one, and then mm-hmm. The Chinese Connection or Fists of Fury, but then there was also a movie he made called Fists of Fury that had an alternate title. It's a little yeah, confusing. It's a little confusing. <laughs> well, no, I actually know. Yeah, because Big Boss, Fist of Fury, or Chinese Connection, and then Return of the Dragon, which had Chuck Norris in it. He directed that one, too. Yes. And the one he didn't finish was called Game of Death, which had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in it, which was kind of funny. <laughs> that's where the iconic yellow jumpsuit comes from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the most insulting thing is they tried to Frankenstein finish that later. Like they took the footage that he made and then made a bunch of other stuff and threw it in there with lookalikes and everything. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of the same thing they did with Peter Sellers when he died and they wanted to keep making Pink Panther movies. They used stock footage and they used deleted scenes from other Pink Panther movies to kind of stitch together an encore performance for a, a dead man. And they did dedicate the movie to him. You know, like it's in, in memory of Peter Sellers. But there's something uncanny about that film that's very odd and a little like there's something a little icky uh, <laughs> yeah. about it. Yeah, uh, I've seen that version too. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's pretty terrible. Yeah. But he made one Hollywood movie that was trying to capitalize because martial arts movies were getting very popular in the inner city, especially at grindhouses. And they wanted to cap, like I said, they wanted to capitalize on it and they made Enter the Dragon. Which is so good. It is an excellent, excellent movie. Excellent. I know there, there. Some of my sources said that they didn't think it was Bruce Lee's best because it's a Hollywood movie that has James Bond stuff in it. Like, I don't care. In terms of actual filmmaking, this is his best movie. All right, get over it. It's so, so good. It's so good. It, it's Anybody, so good. It's so good. Watch it. Yeah, David Carradine. Remember David Carradine? We're talking about David Carradine a minute ago. He's he back. required the entire Kung Fu crew to go see Enter the Dragon. And the producer on the show told him that they were up against the quote unquote James Bond of martial arts. But <laughs> David Carradine said, no, we're up against the James Dean of martial arts. <laughs> Carradine knew what he was talking about. I mean, he, yeah, yeah. He, yep. Give the man his honor. He, right. And Lee it. was, was innovative because he was one of the first people to portray martial arts in a contemporary setting. Before this, they were, period pieces yeah they were they were mostly confined to you know quote-unquote medieval you know feudal style settings with castles right. and villages and, and and whatnot you know and I, I used medieval loosely that's obviously not the, the case but yeah they, they were they were like you said they were period pieces right. but right it, this is what really like that that movie is what made kung fu and martial arts contemporary and cool and like mm-hmm. that movie it is opened, so cool. It opened the whole, his four movies opened the whole world up to martial arts cinema. Yeah. That's an impressive, Almost, basically single handed. It's an impressive feat for one guy and like less than half a dozen movies. That's, that's incredible. That's almost unprecedented. So right. when, like when we say Bruce Lee is a big deal, then even if you've never seen those films, like trust me, the, the dude's a big deal. And there are so many other things that came out of that cultural understanding came out of that just the acceptance of so many different things that just were not a part of the American zeitgeist at the time that suddenly were, and it opened up all of this amazing stuff. And it's just such a shame that he didn't a live to continue that work and B live to see more of the fruits of what he was able to, to accomplish with his, his very brief time 
on Earth. Yeah, because he died in 1973, just a few weeks before Enter the Dragon opened at age 32. On it's un unbelievable. That is yeah, that is it was the a def- brain edema. It's the de- the dictionary definition of too young. Again, James Dean comparisons. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But he was such a big deal, especially in China. We were hinting at this earlier because we have a <laughs> Bruce Lee, a or Bruce Lee. It's L E. This is yeah. There was a crazy phenomenon that happened. That, oh my gosh! Sometimes Chinese cinema is kind of gross. <laughs> the, we're gonna sit here and giggle, but like it. Just bear in mind that we're giggling because it's ridiculous. This is incredibly exploitative and awful what they did but it's well, so... that's what it's called it's called bruce ploitation bruce ploitation an entire bruce genre. after he died in 1973 there were movie producers that decided to basically capitalize on his memory so they would find people who looked close and almost looked like him and then give him a very similar sounding name as a stage name and they the would hair. make movies Give Some him. of which where they tried to pass off as sequels to Bruce Lee, the real Bruce Lee's movie. So like you had Bruce Lee, Bruce Lie, L-I yeah. was another one. Bruce and uh, Bruce Lay, the guy in this movie, yeah, was Bruce, part of that. Bruce Lay. Not as much as uh, Mr. L-I was. No, Mr. L-I, but I'm telling you what, Bruce Lay, Bruce with Bruce L-E has an insane number of these films under his belt. Like it was basically looking vaguely similar to Bruce Lee, which by the way, very few of them did. They basically just dressed them similar and gave them the haircut. And then they said, Hey, you look like Bruce Lee. It was, it's gross. It 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 is. is It is really gross, but it was so blatant. It's really blatant. But while we're here, I actually have a list of some of the, just the movies that Bruce Lee was in. I'm going to read a couple of these off here and you will detect some patterns here. Tell me if this some of these sound a little familiar. Bruce's Deadly Fingers, 1976. The Big Boss Part 2. What? Like, that's so wrong. Return of Bruce. Like, that's the other thing is they would put the name Bruce in the title. And some of the like there there's one of these movies called The Dragon Lives Again. It doesn't have Bruce L.E. And it. it has Bruce L.I. in it where Bruce it literally this guy is playing Bruce Lee, the actor in the afterlife and he's fighting Dracula like and, <laughs> and, 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 and Popeye shows up. I can't, it's, it's on. What? No. Okay. This is a can of worms. I, I, I can't. thought super inframan was unhinged. No, 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 no. Super, super inframan is sobriety personified in comparison <laughs> to the dragon lives again. Look this movie up. It is literally about Bruce Lee in the afterlife and he's fighting against an evil I don't remember the whole thing, but he's, he's fighting against this bad guy and Clint Eastwood is there and, and Popeye is there. And then there's Dracula and he has an army of mummies and there's like a James Bond guy. It's basically heaven for a bunch of (laughs) pop culture icons. And I, they're all like either in another dimension or they're in the afterlife or something. And Bruce Lee is trying to come back to life and he's trying to beat the bad guy so he can come back to life and leave. I mean, I I, I don't it's, know wh- which of these actors was in it, but I also know that they had titles like Bruce Lee fights back from the grave. Yeah, Bruce Lee I, fights back from the grave. Uh, uh, Mr. Lay was also in Bruce and the Shaolin Bronze Men, Way of the Dragon 2, Bruce and the Shaolin Kung, and, and Shaolin Kung Fu 1 and 2. Enter the Game of Death, Return of the Red Tiger. Look for the name Tiger in one of these movies, and that's a dead giveaway. Re- this is my favorite. Re-enter the dragon. Re-enter the dragon. And my probably my favorite 
of these that I have seen. You know, I, I'm I, looking up. A, I'm I, yeah. I, maybe we're looking at the same thing. I'm looking up a list here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably my favorite of these that I've actually watched because I have a weird, morbid fascination with Bruce Blaytation oh, films. The clones of Bruce Lee, which had Bruce Lee, yep. Dragon Lee, Bruce Lai, L-I-L-A-I, and Bruce Ty. So it's like it's like Spider-Man No Way Home with a bunch of alternate bruce lee's okay that's awful <laughs> bruce lee into the bruceiverse into the Bru- I, oh, it needs we need to workshop that but we'll get there my favorite of these is challenge of the tiger if you've never seen challenge of the tiger first of all I, I don't even know if i can recommend it but this movie is so unhinged it's not as unhinged as dracula and popeye but the movie literally and the only reason i bring this up is the movie ends with the, the two main characters, the second guy is, is, is Bruce Lee, L.E.'s buddy, and he, he thinks Bruce Lee is gone. Like, he can't find him. And then he shows up at the end of the movie, and he's like, yeah, you're alive. And I kid you not, this guy has the gall to look at the camera and say, don't worry, I won't die so young. Oh! Oh! What a... Oh! oh. It's, uh, oh. it's awful. It's awful. It's I don't know. I just found one that I, I'm just like, what the frick is even this from 1982 Jackie and Bruce to the rescue. Oh, this is, this is a, this is a, a rabbit hole. This Bruce exploitation is a rabbit. Yeah, well, hole no this end. one I just found it's about street gangs and the YMCA. <laughs> Gosh. Okay. There are, there are cartoon Bruce exploitation movies. Like there are movies where they'll just sneak in random Bruce Lee lookalike characters. There are, it's, it is unending. They made so many of these things. There are probably for every Bruce Lee movie. And I mean, actual Bruce Lee movie, you know, all, all five of them, all four and a half of them for every one of those. There's probably two dozen <laughs> Bruce exploitation movies. It's if not more, if not more like it's when I say this is a, a, a wormhole, I mean, it is a, it is a wormhole. It is a rabbit hole. It is all kinds of bad. Like it is, it's fascinating. It's cheesy. Gross. A lot of them are like legitimately fun to watch because they're so ridiculous, but it is, it's, it's, a it's, it's gross. It's, it's disgusting. Like the, the fact that they, they went that far and they like the fact that they thought they could trick people by exploiting the name and the, the, the face of a dead man to, to generate basically ride the coattails of a man who'd passed away too young. Oh, he, this guy was making a bunch of money. Let's just put people in wigs and, and dress them up like <laughs> Bruce Lee and have them go, Whoa, you know, and like, well, yeah, you can have them do that, but none of them are Bruce Lee. You know, it's, it, it's not right. the same. And the fact that they thought they could swindle people because again, remember this is pre-internet, right? So not everyone on the planet knows instantly that the the minute that Bruce Lee has passed, that he's gone. Nowadays, if a celebrity goes, the whole world knows within minutes at the same time. It's on social media. It's on the front page of Variety. It's all over the place. Back then, that information traveled slower, if it traveled anywhere at all. and Especially in China. Especially in China. So a lot of these studios took advantage of that gray area in a really below-the-belt way. And it's one of the slimier exploitation genres that came out of the seventies and all the way up into the eighties and uh, into the, a little bit into the nineties, but it's worth mentioning because it's so bizarre. It's so exploitative and it's just, you you can't believe some of this stuff. Like go watch the one with Popeye. 
You know, like at least watch at least watch that one. It's not good. It's gross, but it's fascinating. Like if you if you're going to dip your toe into this and just give yourself an example of it, there are a, a billion better kung fu movies you could watch than <laughs> than The Dragon Lives Again or <laughs> any of these things. But like it's I, I I don't know. It's it's a lot. It's it's a wormhole. I don't know if I want that to be movie night. No, I just watched Enter the Dragon. Yeah. <laughs> just watch the. Yeah. But don't... anyway, yeah. even amidst all of the of the slimy exploit, Bruce exploitation, we saw some new stars rise in the martial arts cinema. <laughs> And they came from martial arts cinema's old friend, Peking Opera and Comedy. And those were Jackie Chan and Sammo Hung. Both men, those are two men we could dedicate, you could dedicate a whole podcast to as well. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Jack, yep. Jackie Chan in particular, that man's life story. Again, can of worms, not opening it here, but right, just right. look up, look up his, read his autobiography. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. But the funny thing is when he started, he's actually in Enter the Dragon, uh, Enter the Dragon. If you pay closely, he's one of the stuntmen who gets killed by Bruce. Yes, he doesn't. He doesn't make it. The <laughs> they are in frame together for about three seconds. Yes. Yes. There's a fun fact. That's crazy. But early on and when Jackie was making a name for himself, you know, uh, instead of just being a stunt man, they tried to make him into Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. They, tried to, they tried to make him the next Bruce Lee, that same sort of an attitude. It just wasn't working. Those movies failed. But when they tapped into his strengths, which were comedy and imagination, oh, he took off. <laughs> oh, yeah. His huge breakthrough. He had, you know, he had a couple of other starring roles that were kind of successful, but his really big breakthrough was Drunken Master in 1981. 1981, the beginning, Mm -hmm. the beginning of a whole new period of revitalized interest in this kind of thing. Right. And what when he started making his way over into the United States, his big claim to fame was that he did his own stunts. Now, I put a caveat there is that he did most of it. If you Mm -hmm. dig a little bit harder, you find out he didn't always get to do all of his own stunts. Maybe if he might have been sick or he was hurt. So sometimes they would use stunt doubles just because they need to get the movies done. And I think in his American movies, he wasn't allowed to do all of his own stunts at the time yeah. because, you know, different regulations. Yeah, different regulations. There's a whole like the, the stunt, like the, the relationship between actors and stunts is it operates completely differently in Hollywood than it does most other places in the world. But in Hong, definitely when you compare it to Hong Kong. Right now there was, and there were like, there was a bunch of new talent coming in a whole new generation of filmmakers and actors and everything coming in at this point. And you had people like, I'm probably going to screw up this name, but sweet, swy, swy. I'm not sure. Hark he started in 1977. He was, he's been compared to Spielberg and Hitchcock. And he was the first Chinese filmmaker in Hong Kong to make extensive use of special effects in movies. And he made his own studio called Film Workshop 1984. And he's basically done every genre and every filmmaking technique you can think of. Like this guy, look, if you look at this guy's resume, it goes on for days and it's got everything. And he demanded that his writers have points for their stories. He was very, he was very exacting about what he wanted in his movies. Yes, quite. Yes, quite. Yes, quite. And then. <laughs> Another influential filmmaker. He wasn't a director or a writer or anything like that. He was a choreographer. Yuan Yo Ping, Yuan Wo Ping, excuse me. He grew up in opera 
And he was about every 10 years or so, he would find a way to innovate with his choreography and revitalize the genre. Most famously, he did the choreography in The Matrix. Yes, he did. So if you all that crazy stuff that was going on in The Matrix, that's that's the guy you have to thank. I remember watching The Matrix. I mean, I, I, I watched it not ways after it had actually come out. I mean, I was barely cognizant of it when it came out. But seeing all of those 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 flippy twenty twisty spinny moves and thinking, this is this is so very very Asian inspired, you know, like where where did mm-hmm. that come from? And uh, right. you know, learning later where they got all that from was just so cool. What a great thing to right. draw from, right? And also at this time, seventies eighties, you're seeing a lot of martial arts movies dubbed into English, <laughs> Kung Fu, Ninja, <laughs> Shaw Brothers, Godfrey Ho. Oh, They're God. all God. pouring into the United States, being broadcast on television and on weekend time slots with you know in slots colloquially called things like Kung Fu Theater, Black Belt Theater. Oh it, and the the eighty the late eighties and the nineties is considered a golden era of Wuxia and Hong Kong cinema. Yeah. You know? And then you started seeing other talents like John Wu was a popular director with the killer. And then he, you know, came over to the United States and made movies over there. Made movies, he, you know, made movies in the United States and Hollywood. Stuff like Mission Impossible Two, you know, all kinds of things. He has a very interesting life story. He was he lived in poverty till he was nine, and then got rescued out of it by you know by a Christian ministry, oh, wow. and then that allowed him to be able to you know feed his obsession with film and all of that. Why do you think he has doves in all of his movies? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Couldn't tell you. Yeah, uh, and apparently he loves the Wizard of Oz. The man has good Don't taste. Figure. He Wonder- finds the Wizard of Oz to be inspiring. I find the Wizard of Oz to be inspiring. It's one of the best movies ever made. I love it. Yeah. But then you also saw new female talent. <laughs> People like Angela Mao and Cynthia Rothrock and Michelle Yeoh. Who doesn't love Michelle Yeoh? Come on. Michelle Yeoh's awesome. You can't marry her. You got a girlfriend. Cheating on her already? You can. Come on, <laughs> Enough lip from you, okay? Just, just that's enough. Yeah, that's you, enough. You already summoned Dr. Doroff. I don't know if we can trust you now. No, no, we can't do that anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then period pieces started getting more popular in the 90s because in 1997, Hong Kong was returned to China by the British. Yes. So... It's the kind of a, a coping mechanism from what I was looking into. They made these period pieces because it was kind of like, you know, it's in the, it's like this, they're being a little nostalgic for simpler times when you had, you know, heroes who made sense to people, you know, old, yeah. it's old fashioned. And the, here's the thing. Th- the influence of this goes well beyond Hong Kong. It goes into, we, we, we could have talked about Sonny Chiba, who some would call the anti Bruce Lee because he didn't play honorable characters so you had him in Japan, and then you had Hollywood stars like Chuck Norris and Stephen Seagal. Uh, I don't think Stephen Seagal is that great, though. Jean-Claude yeah. Van Damme, Brandon Lee, son of Bruce Lee, tragically died making The Crow. Wesley uh. Snipes, Jason Statham. And then in Thailand, you had people like Tony Jaa. I remember when Tony Jaa came on the scene, people were calling him the next Bruce Lee. You know, and he's from Vietnam. And then Indonesia is getting in on this now. You ever heard of a little movie called The Raid? (laughs) 
Uh, it's definitely crossed my radar. I've not seen <laughs> right. it. Right. Right. But they all, all of these people, in some form or another, near as I can tell, owe their livelihood to martial arts cinema, to Wuxia. They were the first. Woohoo. <laughs> Nowhere near as cool as when in that documentary when Samuel L. Jackson talked about how that saying that word can be a, like a calming breath of air or an explosion of power. <laughs> wow. I, I wish I could expel wor- powerful words like Samuel L. Jackson does, but no, very few can. What's the name Hold of this? Hold on docu- to your butts, right? That's right. What's the name of this documentary, by the way? If somebody out there don't want to necessarily name names, uh, oh, say me, perhaps, <laughs> wanted to watch this. It's called The Art of Action. The Art of Action with Samuel with Samuel L. Jackson. Action Jackson. Okay. There it is. I, will, I can remember that. All right. Any comments before we go finally wrap things up? Because I'm still a little concerned that... Well, not gremlins. I think our mascots may have slipped uh, along with us. Oh dear, Jimmy, nah. you might want to ch- you might want to check under the hood for Uber Mogra. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, I think before anything else wonky happens, we should move on. But now, Danny, we got some excitement coming. You haven't done this in a couple of months. Are you ready for this? Oh, I was born ready. The Patreon shoutouts. I shall ask me once again, will you shout my name? Eli Harris! Bex from Redeemed Otaku! Moi! Damon make some noise! I'm sure he's never heard that joke before. No, that, that, no, no, he's never heard that before. The Cellcast! Eric Anderson! Ted Williams. Winja the Ninja! Brad Batman Nettleman! Christopher Reiner! The indiscreet slash indiscreet one. Not sure how to say that covered both bases. Jake Hambrack! Edwin Gonzalez! Matt Walsh, but not that Matt Walsh. Jonathan Cartwright! Tofu! I've been, I've joked for a long time that Tofu Fury needs to be a Jackie Chan movie where he's a chef. This episode confirms that. No, it's a hundred percent. If that didn't, if that didn't uh, completely sell you on the idea, then I don't know what will. Tofu Fury. Tofu Fury, starring which, Jackie Chan which as by a the, chef. Which, by the way, and then we'll I, throw in Super Inframan and one of the Bruce Exploitation stars, just to complete. <laughs> just to be, and then I'll come in driving a Jaeger called Tofu Fury. Just uh, <laughs> you can't tell me that wouldn't be a good Jaeger name from Pacific Rim. Like that would be a great. Well, go talk to the Drifters. They I th- apparently they have the right connections to get Jaegers made. Yeah, apparently so they've got. Go. They know what they're doing, I guess. They apparently they do. What? But what are you gonna do? Yeah. Throw food? Are you gonna throw food at monsters? Is that what this is? 
Kung Fu. <laughs> Kung Fu. Yes. Yeah. I'm Kung Fu. I'm sure someone's made that joke. But making aren't you my, proud of yourself? Make, making my family proud. Yeah. <laughs> so proud. So proud. So, bro. so proud. Shaking but now hands. we got to start hyping. This is, now we're, we have started season four. We got to start hyping those next couple episodes, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. So guess what? We're, we're back to Godzilla Redux. It's resuming for Son of Godzilla. Nice. Yes, One we're going to talk about the birth of everyone's favorite kaiju, Minya. Hey, that movie is amazing. I will not. I will. I will not take any kind of Son of Godzilla slander. I wasn't making any. I, was, I know. I'm just. I, I'm preparing. I'm preparing for it because you just. You just never know. Well, I. I adore here, that film. Yeah. Well, and here's a little teaser for you, folks. For what to expect in the episode. Son of Godzilla is a date movie. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, Listen it to the is. episode, and it will make sense. Injecting myself here really quick from the future to let you know that the guest for that episode has been confirmed to be Neil Reby, kaiju author extraordinaire. Get used to hearing that name a lot this season because he's slated for several episodes. Anyway, back to the season premiere. Anyway, and then we're still in Hong Kong. We st- and because we, there's not just one kaiju, Hong Kong kaiju, we need to find. We need to find two of them. And it's more Shaw Brothers. Mighty Peking Man is yes. our next episode in the world tour. And to make it even sweeter, we will be joined by a gentleman and a scholar, John LeMay. <laughs> John, I can't wait to hear what John has to say about Mighty Peking Man. Mighty Peking Man. Okay, so we touched on Bruceploitation, which I, I have a weird fascination with just because of how bizarre it is. But in terms of legitimate enjoyment, Kongsploitation? Weird, <laughs> especially weird 70s Kongsploitation in the wake of the De Laurentiis film is something I love a good King Kong knockoff and the best. And I'm willing to die on this hairy, hairy hill. The best. <laughs> Is Mighty Peking Man. I think I, I hear you, Ape. I hear I hear you, King Kung Fu. <laughs> I hear I hear you, weird Indian nine hour version of King Kong that's that was thought lost for a few years. I hear you. But Queen Kong? Queen I nah, Queen Kong is not amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun, but it's ridiculous. But I mean they're all ridiculous, but list like no, Mighty Peking Man is great. That's gonna be a good listen. And I guess that means it's gonna keep you in Hong Kong for a while. Yeah, at least another month or so. The 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 Peking man isn't loose in Hong Kong, is he? Oh, Goliathon, yeah, he got he got away too. He got wait, he got away. He's alive. I mean, all of these guys really should be dead. I not don't know why I'm surprised. Well, from what I understand, the reports of his death were inconclusive. Honestly, that makes me feel better because the ending of that film. It was incredible. I mean, the ending of all of these films, like the gorilla dies in most of them, right? So you you kind of expect it, but something about how brutal the ending of Mighty Peking Man was hurt me. So I'm glad he's. I'm glad he got better. I'm, I'm glad he's okay now. Any word on his on his blonde lady love? Sadly, she is no longer with us. Oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. Now we're that's off topic. We'll hear more about this in the next episode. I don't want to. I don't want to derail us too much. But I'm glad. I'm glad old Goliathon's doing okay. Yeah. Well, he's got like several names of Goliathon and 
I've heard several. <laughs> yeah, he's got. He's if you watch the movie, you hear like three different names. So it's it's of it's course. Fine. Just of pick course. one. <laughs> Just pick one. Of right. course. Hello, injecting myself here again to let you know that in between these two main episodes, we will be doing a somewhat impromptu bonus episode, thanks to MIFV Max member Matt Walsh, but not that Matt Walsh, where MIFV will be covering its first Hammer Films picture, which goes in line with our international Monster on World Tour theme, The Abominable Snowman. Yes, we're hearkening back to the mid-50s and kind of to episode 7 of the podcast where I talked about Half Human because I'm pretty sure, Jimmy may correct me on this later, that I did talk about that in that episode. Stay tuned for more details. And now, once again, back to the season premiere. All right, and now, Danny... We come to one of the most important segments of the show. Shameless self-promotion. You've already done it for me, so I don't have to say anything. So unless I just want to remind people to go listen to Henshin Men, which is wrapping up right now. You know, the current form. Probably be a few more. There'll be a few more episodes you. as <laughs> there'll be a few more episodes. <laughs> but that's about it. So <laughs> terrible. But anyway, what do you got? Me personally, here's what I've got. The usual spiel for all for the other 48 times I've been. <laughs> on on the show but if the you idea might be my most frequent guest i think i, might I may have be. to go back and count <laughs> i might be and if so i am honored to be if the idea of reading the godzilla films in prose form as novels for free <clears throat> strikes your fancy if that gives you the warm fuzzies then definitely head over to the godzilla novelization project which conveniently enough can be located at godzilla novelization project.com there you will without find ads. without ads, without ads, which is now still without ads. Now, new and improved with Kung Fu grip and no ads. Batteries, <laughs> batteries not included, but it, it's it, it's it looks great. It looks so much better than it did with ads. Those ads were terrible. It's been a few years and it still blows my mind how much better it looks. But yeah, that's where the books are archived. Chapters are published in a, on a serialized basis, chapter by chapter. That's where you'll also find the short stories. There are also blogs there. There are links to all of the other articles, the articles I've written for Kaiju Ramen and, and other magazines and interviews that I've done and podcasts I've been on. I've been on, I've been on a few, I've been on a few and all kinds of stuff. So you'll hear me on other episodes of this show. You will hear me on Henshin Men in a couple of spots. You will be, I mean, again, I don't know. I'm pretty you sure you are one of two people who have completed the Hamilton Marchand podcast hat trick. This is true. I was on Henshin You've been Men. on all of them. I've been on this one and I was on the power trip twice. One of which a megalithic five hour episode on Die Ranger, which was incredibly, <laughs> in incredibly fun to record. But it, it did. It did take a year off the end of my life. <laughs> in, the best, <laughs> in the best way possible but yeah i've been on a bunch of podcasts i've i've you've probably seen me paneling at g-fest i will be paneling at g-fest again this year if you want to with me <laughs> oh I, I hope i hope so gosh that's you got a good streak we, we do keep we it do. going we gotta keep we gotta keep that going you can hear me voice act in a bunch of different things including the godzilla unmade audio drama that came out a few years ago if you want to really was roast kaijusaurus right yeah, the Kaijusaurus podcast. My man, Steven Sloss, put together these great audio dramas based on unmade Godzilla films. And I got to be the mad mermaid obsessed scientist 
who digs down to the bottom of the earth in Bride of Godzilla. There is a question mark <laughs> in the title. So that, that's what that there you go. So that makes sense. I'm all over the place. I'm doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I'm all over the place. I'm doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And one thing I definitely and I, I know this is kind of putting you on the spot, but one thing I kind of want to add to my my list of crazy things that I've done from audio. I mean, I've been in audio dramas. I, I, I write Godzilla books. I was in Zilla foot, <laughs> but, <laughs> but now that I'm in Hong Kong, I would like to go along on your hunt for the bug man. Do you, th- Oh, do you th- really? For, yeah. for Jiju Guai? Jiju Guai. I mean, I know it might be dangerous, but I, I'd, I'd kind of like to come with on this one. I don't know why. Yeah. I just think it'd be, I mean, if you think I'm going to get in the way, then be honest and I'll, I'll buzz I, off no. and get in my dragon boat and leave. But if well, you want company, I'll stick around. Jimmy, what? You found the bugger? Well, I guess you're tagging along anyway. So we got to oh. wrap things up We got you know, and make sure we go catch him while the catching is good. Jimmy, play those credits. Thank you for listening to the Monster Island Film Fault, a podcast produced and hosted by Nate Marchand. Our executive producer is Damon Noyes. If you want to be heard on the show, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at monsterislandfilmvault at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok. You can also follow Jimmy from NASA on Twitter and our many colorful characters using the links in the show notes, which are on our website, monsterislandfilmvault.com. Don't forget to join our official Facebook group and Discord server, The Markalite Lounge. Our podcast logo was designed by Rebecca Hudgens. Follow her on Twitter and Instagram at super underscore R underscore illustrations. Sound effects sourced from freesound.org and created by JP Gant. Our theme song is Wanderer on the Offensive, live edit by B33J, Serax, Juan Madrano, and Nonsensical Lexus, which is a remix of Counterattack and The Opened Way by Koatani from Shadow of the Colossus. Additional music includes Every Country Has a Monster, performed by Jonah Ray, and Chant My Name, a cover by Second Archive of the song by Masaki Endo. All film and audio clips belong to the respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. You can even support us by joining MIFV Max on Patreon. MIFV is a Moonlighting Ninjas media production and a proud member of Pod Nation. Sayonara! Sayonara!